Welcome to the Danger Room's excellent, extravagant X-Men exposition. Whoa. I sure am excited. Oh, there we go. So this is what we've been kind of talking about a little bit over the last couple of weeks, where we would uh, just do a free-flowing X-Men conversation, a little intimate dinner between Adam and I in which we talk about the X-Men. Right now we're feeding each other Indian food with chopsticks. There's some candles. It's romantic. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. None of that exists. We're actually eating cheeseburgers that we got out of the vending machine somewhere. They have cheeseburgers (laughs) in vending machines? That's cool. (laughs) They do, actually, and they're horrible. (laughs) So who knows how long this will go? 15 minutes, an hour, four hours? It could be a marathon, Adam. It just depends on how interesting we actually are with one another and our stories. And the stories from our listeners who have written in and sent us voicemails. X-Men. <laughs> uh, and we will get to all of that later, but first, it's got to be about Adam and I. Right? Sure. Okay. So the first thing that I wanted to let you know uh, was, or actually ask you, did you realize that it's the 50th anniversary of the X-Men? No. I had no idea either. When did you find this out? Well, uh, one of our listeners keyed us in, of course, because they they pay much more attention to this sort of stuff than we do. (laughs) But uh, as you recall, X-Men 1 was released in January of 1963, Mm. and it is now March of 2013. Wow. So it's the 50th anniversary year of X-Men. Cool. I don't know why this isn't a bigger celebrated fact. Do you remember like back in the day when you would buy uh, comic books and Spider-Man would be at the blow corner and it would say 25th anniversary? Uh, I'm betting they'll pull out the stops later this year. That's oh, my, my guess. I don't, don't think... I, I don't know that, though, but I'm just okay. speculating that there wouldn't pass up an opportunity to sell more comics. So, Right, of course not. So, But whenever, whatever year that was, uh, I feel like... Every comic that adorned that year had the Spider-Man 25th anniversary logo on it. I remember that. I also remember a 20th anniversary, but maybe that's Star Trek or something. There was also a 35th anniversary logo. Uh, so maybe they do it every 10, 50 is a, a big mark. Though. So maybe it'll be 55. is <laughs> not an important thing. Let's wait till we get to the 50th Well, 25, 35. Maybe there was a 45, and then there'll be a 55. That could be. I don't know. So, Adam... How did you get into the X-Men in the first place? It's not a very exciting story, I have to say. (laughs) Well, good. We'll lead weekly, and then we'll finish strong. (laughs) Um, As I brought up a few episodes ago, uh, my gateway was Wolverine. Okay. And uh, I think... The first thing that I, the first issue of X Men that I remember buying was X Men two seventy one from the Extinction Agenda Part Two. Or is that with Havoc shooting no, upward? That, that's, that's Part One. Oh, so I guess this would be Part Four. Okay, so I think it has Storm on the cover. Oh, and she's bald, maybe, and she's yeah. in the uh, Genosha suit. I think it was that one. Okay, and then I pick at the same time I picked up the issue with Wolverine fighting Cameron Hodge. Okay, it's just two seventy two. Okay, and. Uh, you were there when I bought these. It was actually at the Norwood Hobby Comic Shop. In Norwood, New York. And there we were diving through the bargain bin, or the back issue lot, Yeah, I guess. yeah, yeah. And we found all these Extinction Agenda issues, which were 
really marked down. I I do recall that actually. It's in the deep recesses of my mind, but it feels like they had a bunch of back issues. They were well marked down, and you and I bought all of the ones that were like under a certain price threshold. Right. <laughs> like if they were a dollar fifty, we probably didn't buy them. But if they were a dollar, we probably bought every copy. And I recall that you bought a few more than I did, um, maybe because they only had one issue of of each one, and the ones that I bought, they had two copies of. That could be. But um, I was, I don't, I don't recall if I was familiar with Jim Lee at this point, or whatever. But the next issue I bought was when they did, or perhaps leading up to the nineteen ninety one X Men number one. Oh, which and, was like two eighty one or two. Yeah, or like that. and also Uncanny X Men two eighty one. Okay, okay. So. I think I bought five copies of each cover of X-Men number one. Well, we were just talking about that. I, I believe I did as well. Um, but my entrance to the X-Men, I believe, was you okay. showing me the cartoon. And I knew who Wolverine was, but I didn't know who anybody else was. I don't have the right time frame for, for all of this. but So here, let me. this is not how I got into X-Men, but this kind of dovetails nicely into what you were just talking about. Uh, you were my gateway into re-entering comic books. Okay. So uh, you were reading a Hulk in study, uh, study Hall, and I said, hey, can I read that? And you're like, <laughs> here, you let me read it. And I didn't really like Hulk, but I had always been into comic books prior to that, which I'll tell in a moment. Uh, and that just, I guess that, that comic book, Hulk number 393, was the, the burgeoning birth of our friendship. Really? 393? I'm sure it wasn't 293. I don't know. I think there was like a foil cover. Or, I don't know. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know which one you're talking about. I don't know which issue it is, but I feel like you're... you're I might be confusing you too. I think you definitely got the 93 right. Okay. But, it, yeah, I'm trying to remember if it was the 400th issue or the 300th issue that was coming up. And I, you might be right. It was the 400th. It was a special issue. It was it was like the 20, the 20th anniversary or okay. something like that, where the cover was a reimagining of the cover from Hulk number one. That could be. That could be. And I thumbed through it. I didn't. I've never ever been a Hulk fan. And in fact, my to this day, like the majority of my Hulk information is formed from Bill Bixby's <laughs> television show. So you know, when I see Hulk talking, it just doesn't make sense. And <laughs> then there's issues where he's gray, or sometimes he's like he's got Bruce Banner's mind. None of it makes sense. Like he should just be growling and punching <laughs> all the time and never talking. But anyway, so I just wanted an excuse, I guess, to look at a comic book or something. So you and I developed a friendship uh, based off of that comic book. Actually, we never talked about that comic book again. But <laughs> it was like, you like comics. I like comics, too. And then what kind of comics do you read? I read Wolverine. I read X-Men. Something like that is probably how that conversation went down. And then it, it definitely moved over to like Star Trek and movies and stuff like that. Sure. We, we found that we had a number of typically nerdy <laughs> um a hobby in filmmaking yes right and then eventually filmmaking which if we get a chance maybe we'll talk a little bit about that as well but uh so we were living in canton new york and canton new york was uh, what how would you say the population of canton new york was well before or after the colleges because it was actually it's oh, right. actually pretty big what do you think like canton without the college was 
20 people. No, <laughs> it literally <laughs> felt like 20 people. No, there was probably a, a few hundred people. Really? And I think the population, I think you're giving, and I think you're selling it too short. I would say the population, there was like 5,000. Okay. Do you think it was 5,000 with the students? I think it was over 10,000 with the students. Okay. Well, yeah, okay. We should really just look this up. Nah, it's much more <laughs> fun to speculate. I guess what I'm driving at was Canton was a very small town, very far away from anything that could be considered large. An hour south of Messina, an hour north of Watertown, two hours north of Syracuse. Yeah, pretty much in the middle of nowhere. Now, everybody knows the name Syracuse, and I think can envision that that's a, a moderately sized city. I don't think many people know what Messina is. but Or Watertown. Or Watertown. But Messina was the location of the only mall within a 50 to 60 mile radius. Yeah. Uh, so anyways, there, there was what I'm driving at here is there was no place to get comic books in Canton. And I had moved from Madison in which I had kind of a regular comic book collecting place there were grocery stores you could get comic books at grocery which is, stores which is where i started but i think i mean i had friends in madison which is where i grew up who were into comic books so i had somebody like we could read the issues and we could be like oh it was so cool when they did that thing we but when i moved to canton i didn't have anybody that i knew of who was uh reading comic books so i just stopped collecting completely and i didn't even think about it i just did other stuff and then i met adam and adam, we started talking about comic books and and then he i think you said i my mom goes to Norwood every month, and there's a comic book store in Norwood. I was like, I used to like comic books. Can I come with? Or something like that. Now, what year was this? Was this like 1945? <laughs> it certainly feels like it. I would say that the year would have been... We could probably track it down by issue. I mean, it was two, two, issue 279 of X-Men time frame. When, did the, when was the Operation Desert Storm? That, I think, was after my... T- Oh, wait. Oh, 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 oh. Uh, 90? Okay, so we don't know. 90, <laughs> It's about that time So it frame. was about that, but it was early. Well, George W. H. W. Bush was president from 88 to 92. So early 90s, yeah. late 80s. Yes, was the Desert Storm conflict. And, and shortly thereafter. So I would say that, yeah, shortly thereafter. So I'd say 1990 to 1991, uh, we were going to Norwood on a monthly basis. And I believe the like I, I had some money and I was like, oh, I used to read X Men, and I think the issue that they had there was two eighty. Okay, it's where uh, the professor is on the screen. I think like Cyclops is holding him in his arms or something like that. I think he just came back from Shiar Time Place. <laughs> that's the intro. Okay, so that's how I got back into it. So that left all of those back issues. Like I had stopped collecting at like two. 54 or something so there was like 25 30 issues that i didn't have and we were i got a lot of those out of those bins that you were just talking about mm-hmm. but then there were some of the valuable ones which i didn't get like where captain america's on the cover and they're in the savage land right call that and then of course the jim lee issues which i eventually went back and got so that's how i got back into comics Okay, so how did you get into comics? How did I get into comics? How did I get into X-Men in specifics? So when I was in fifth grade, which would make me about 12 years old, I was reading a lot of Larry Hama's G.I. Joe. 
And when I say a lot, I think I only had five issues. <laughs> but I read and reread those issues over and over and over again, and I thought they were so cool. You know, they had guns and special missions, and I had the unmaskings issue, which said top secret on the cover or something <laughs> like that. And so I would take them to school, and I would put them in folders that were labeled top secret. And then when Reading Hall came out, I would pull them out, and I'd read the X-Men, and I mean the G.I. Joe and uh, there was a kid who was sitting behind me who must have just gotten fed up with my G.I. Joe because he, like, tapped me on the shoulder one day. He was like, you should read this. And I was like, oh. And it was X-Men 224, which is the issue before the fall of – no, which is the first issue of Fall of the Mutants. Hmm. And I was like, whoa, wow. So the, storm, the team is uh, Wolverine, Storm, Colossus, Rogue, Dazzler, Psylocke, Longshot – I think that's the entire team and you know they all had their personalities wolverine was really cool um i don't know the freedom force and the, again it goes back to why i like the blob he was like the first x-men villain i was exposed to so that's how i first got into x-men and from there it was you know I, I just built up a collection and then those were the guys that i would hang out with and we would play marvel superheroes together and then we would read x-men comics and you know, we'd have the normal dorky conversations about, you know, who could beat who, given certain circumstances and things like that. So that's what it was. It was G.I. Joe. And then some guy was like, that's dumb. Read X-Men. And I did. So what was the first issue of X-Men that you bought? The very first issue that I bought. So there was a comic book store just down the road from me that I used to go to. And I used to buy baseball cards and other collectible stuff. Uh, so well familiar with that place. Although the owner of the place, he didn't like kids. <laughs> like you'd go in and he would just glare at you. <laughs> and then you'd be like, I'm going to spend money, but he just glare at you. You're well, going to steal stuff. I have a story about that that I'll get to <laughs> in a moment. But anyways, um, comic books at the time were 75 cents. Mm -hmm. My allowance was three bucks a week. Okay. And so if you had a little pocket change, you could get, what is that? You could get a dollar you could get four comic books for three bucks so i had i took my allowance there and i bought issues 217 218 219 and 224 because for some reason they didn't have those other two issues that were in the middle so the very first issue i bought was 217 and i read it and i was like this is amazing 217 featured the juggernaut versus dazzler which is probably also why he's one of my favorite characters. Like, who is this big, awesome guy? And why Dazzler is also one of your favorites? Good. Well, yeah, <laughs> she's not one of my favorites. But I, you know, I don't have anything against Dazzler. And, of course, I think at the time it was uh, Mark Silvestri and Dan Green. So the artwork was really good. Mm -hmm. And the story was really good. Um, and I got to be honest, like, when I went to Canton and we were going to the comic book shop in Norwood... I didn't have any concept of artists. Right. Or I didn't writers for that matter. All I knew is that Stan Lee, these were Stan Lee did all these cuz his name was everywhere. <laughs> so when you started saying like, "Oh, you got the Jim Lee issue," I'd be like, "Jim who?" So what did Stan Lee do at that point? Was he just the Everything just said Stan Lee presents. Oh, okay. So nothing. So you just thought Stan Lee was this guy who I, was presenting? I, yeah, right. He was like on all fours in heat. No, no. I, I, Stan Lee presents. I thought that was so cool. And that's ab absolutely why he did it, of course. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, maybe he was president. Uh, you know, to me, I thought like, 
he was the guy pulling all the strings or making all the stories. I saw everybody else's names, but I didn't read them because right. they fell right below Stan Lee Presents. <laughs> so it's the way to do it. I know. So this episode is Adam Presents. Oh, man. You're so cool. (laughs) From now on, we're going to say that at the beginning of every episode. Adam presents Danger Room. Yes. (laughs) Featuring Adam. (laughs) Man, this podcast's awesome. (laughs) So, there you go. Adam, do you have any um, interesting X-Men comic book anecdotes? Lord, no. No? (laughs) Uh, An interesting When I say anecdote, I don't mean like like a... a parallel to something like a good story that involves like the, the time that you and I stole six copies each of X-Men 281 from the local uh what would you call that Ames it was a department store I guess a, I thought we stole those from the grocery store no it was from Ames I think you're right you're right it was yeah but if you could like tell that in story format it'd be well fantastic. we were we were at Ames, which is a local department store, but think kind of like Kmart think Kmart small Kmart light yeah, and uh we discovered it was spelled a m e s but everybody yeah. called it Ames's Ames's or Amos uh, <laughs> I never heard Amos, but I could see that uh we were we were in the comic book rack or not there wasn't any racks but it was like it was like a tiny little section with comic books and they were those kind of comic books that were the three-in-one uh polybagged ones and we were like hey this is a copy of 281 and so we we isolated all the copies of 281 because at the time we were like oh this is going to be worth something this is awesome Mm -hmm. we we this is when we just started getting into the whole speculation thing as everybody was Mm -hmm. in the 90s and uh, so we, we took out the copies of 281, and we shoved them down our pants, mm-hmm. and then we walked out of the, the store, mm-hmm. and uh, as we were pulling them out of our pants, my mother pulled up. And, and I thought, like, <laughs> we were so coy and played it off cool, like, she'd, she'd think that we bought them, but she pulled right up, and she's like, Adam, get in the car. Yeah, get in the car. <laughs> like, she knew. Yeah. Like, as we were contemplating this theft, like, her alarm went off, and she just got in the car to go get you. She's like, something bad's happening. From out of nowhere, too, because <laughs> we didn't go to, to Ames with her. I mean, everything was walking distance, so I was probably at your house. You were. I'm we, sure you were. And we just walked the 15 minutes to get to the store. And it's not like Ames... I mean, there's a big parking lot between the street and Ames. Right. So it's not like she was passing by, and she's like, oh, there's Adam and Jeremy. She she was on a mission. Like she was like, <laughs> and it's not like it was on her way to anything either. <laughs> nope, nope. She just saw us and uh, yeah, and so she gave you a ride home. Did she? I don't remember. That must have been an awkward ride. <laughs> and uh, I was and, probably being like playing it off, like, so how's it going? How's everything? <laughs> Your mom's like seething. I <laughs> I think it was pretty quiet. <laughs> oh, okay. You think I thought we were busted as well? Yeah, I'm pretty sure we both knew we were busted. Did you give me all of the issues? Yes, and you later retrieved them from me. Uh, Later I retrieved my half of the issues from you. I still have them. Well, how did that work? So she saw us. I don't know. It's like she has some sort of mom sense. But then you must have given me your comic books in front of her. Or as she was pulling the car up. Maybe we didn't give you a ride home. I don't Maybe know that. Home. I don't know. I, I think, I think you didn't give me a ride home, and I think I walked home with this giant pile of comics, being like, "Oh, geez, I really dodged a bullet." <laughs> like she didn't catch me. She thinks only Adam was the thief, or something like that. Right. But she never told my parents, so right. she must have just been like, 
I'll let his conscience take care of him. <laughs> well, I was grounded for a week. Was it just a week? It felt like it was longer. It was probably longer, but <laughs> yeah, I was grounded until I learned my lesson. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and, and uh, I, I remember we were shooting Winter Vacation Carnage 4, and uh, I was unavailable for that. Adam and I we got together with some friends in Canton and made lots and lots of home movies, and we thought they were so cool because we could edit them, and we used to use tempera paint as blood, and so our Winter Vacation Carnage series was like, I don't know, a bloody Jason-type movie. And I can't remember if that's the one where Jack was the hero, yeah. which being your dog. <laughs> yeah. No, well, I don't think he was the hero. Or if it was the one where you replaced my character with Scott. Well, that both of those happened. Winter Vacation Carnage 2 right. featured your character as played by Scott. Right. And it was kind of like how uh, Halloween 2 takes place immediately after Halloween 1. Right. This movie took place immediately after the first one, but it was with Scott, so it made no sense. And we never <laughs> gave anybody names, so it wasn't like, wow, Bill, you really look different. Yeah. We, we Nobody had names. Except for Buddy. Buddy. Buddy was the killer. And the fourth one, we tied a sled to my dog and tried to make him into a, a dog sled puller, but he didn't pull the sled. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, and you were not in that one either. So I must have been grounded for a year. And I think we turned that one into a health project. Mm. That's an inside joke for <laughs> Adam and I. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, we digress. My anecdote, though... Which also involves thievery. A different thievery story, though. <laughs> At the comic book store. So when I was younger, was about the same age, I was a li- not a hooligan, but I didn't think too much about shoplifting. In other words, I shoplifted a lot of things. Uh, that was not the first time my mother caught me shoplifting. Oh, so maybe this was like... But I, I don't know... I think it had been a long time since the last time. I probably was like enabling you, like Adam, we should do this. And you're like, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it was, no, it was it definitely wasn't the first time I had shoplifted since the last time she caught me. Oh, but it was, it was a long time since she had caught. Me. Was it the last time you shoplifted? Oh, I don't know that. I, oh. I just remember the last time she caught me was when we were living in Virginia, and I was stealing Transformers the movie stickers out of the packages. Mm. Wow. You had your sights set low. Yeah. <laughs> I need these stickers. Well, yeah, because I it, can't pay the quarter. Because it was like a, it was like a like a book where you you put the, the stickers oh, are numbered, sure. yeah, yeah, and you fill it in. And I was like looking for those particular ones and opening them up in the store and being like, oh, I don't have this one. Oh, so they're somewhat collectible. Like yeah. there was random packages. Yeah, I mean, uh, their collectible value wasn't oh, right. much because I ripped the stickers off <laughs> and put them in the book. I gotcha. But, but it wasn't like, so like I buy those for my daughter and all the stickers are there. So all you got to do is just find the stickers in the book and then you stick right. them in the Right. There were like packages of seven stickers and they were random. So, um, and I also had a friend, so this is back in Madison before you and I had met, uh, who was also very into G.I. Joe comic books. And I had now separated. I was on, I had graduated. I was on to my more sophisticated and intelligent X-Men comic books. And I had been keeping up with the series and I had filled in some of the gaps between like the 217 and the 224. Uh, And every now and again, I would go to the back issue. And again, I'd buy like any issue that was less than three bucks or something. But there was a whole pile of issues like in the 160s, 170s, 
that were over three dollars. And it's like I just couldn't bring myself to buying those because that was more than my allowance was. <laughs> so he came over and spent the night, and uh, we spent the whole night before planning how we were gonna just we were just gonna take this place to the cleaners. <laughs> we were just gonna clean them out, and I was I drew a diagram from him of what the store looked like because the back issues were in the back, <laughs> and then all the new stuff was in the front. And he didn't. I don't think he had cameras or mirrors because when you were back there, every now and then the guy would kind of peek his head around and see what you were doing. Was this the store with the old guy who didn't like? Kids? Yes, same store. Yeah. And, and so I explained all this to him. He's like, "I'm going to steal so many GI Joe comics," <laughs> and I was like, "All right." Uh, and I guess this was maybe me being kind of a manipulator because I didn't steal anything, but I was like. I'll be the distraction and you steal me as many X-Men comics as you can. And so like the next, so we actually, we packed a backpack full of like some textbooks and then we wrote a little note in there, which tried we were like, we're going to indicate that we're just coming back from Sunday school. <laughs> so if he decides to search our bag for some reason, the first thing he'll see is a note from our Sunday school teacher and these textbooks talk about conniving, right? <laughs> and it's odd. He, he didn't have a no backpack rule. So we, we walk into the store he does kind of look at us cross-eyed, as I as I recall. Uh, and I, we go to the back issues. I show him where the G.I. Joe comic books are. I show him where the X-Men comic books are. And he, like, lays his backpack down. He opens it up. And so then I walk towards the front. And I cause a distraction, which I think is like, can you show me that baseball card behind the counter? And he gets it. And I look at it. Can you get me that one? I look at it. And... I kind of look down the aisle, and he's just shoveling comic <laughs> books into his bag. And then, you know, he's done. He kind of wanders around, looks about a couple of things, and we leave. And I don't know how on earth the guy wasn't like, wait a second, let me see your bag. Because <laughs> nothing. Like, we walked out, we walked home, and we just had tons of comic books. And on one hand, it was awesome because I got a whole bunch of X-Men comic books that I wouldn't have otherwise gotten. And he got his G.I. Joes. Uh, and uh, I guess I kind of feel bad about it now because he was just a dude trying to make a living. And here <laughs> I am just stealing his inventory. You should go back and apologize. He's out of business. <laughs> you should find him. <laughs> He's probably dead because he looked old back then. <laughs> Return the comic. <laughs> And he was, uh, his thing was not, I mean, they had a lot of comic books, but his thing was, um, his thing was baseball cards. Hmm. That is my interesting X-Men story. How interesting. Uh, all right. Well, what uh, of your, what's your favorite X-Run? My favorite X-Run. Of any X-Team, of any arc, of any New Mutants, X-Force, X-Factor, X-Men... Probably Astonishing X-Men, Joss oh. Whedon, John Cassidy. Okay. Um, that was when I was living in Connecticut. Mm -hmm. I bought the first six issues, thought they were awesome, and then stopped collecting comics. Mm. Um, and then many years later, picked up the uh, hardcover trade paperbacks or whatever they are, uh, mm -hmm. and, and read through the whole things and was like, wow, this is really good. And, uh, at the time I was collecting planetary, which went on forever. And, um, I was really getting into John Cassidy. So I was very excited about, oh, this is his later work. It's, it's, uh, this is, this is really, really good looking and stuff like that. So another, I guess I'm just an impressionable person because like, 
when I left Canton, I stopped collecting comic books again because I never did to talk to about comic <laughs> books. Plus, I think it was in the time when uh, all of the artists and stuff went on to go to Image. So all of a sudden, all the art sucked. Pretty much. Uh, I think new talent was developed uh, because they were no longer overshadowed by Lee and Liefeld and Patacio and Silvestri and all those people. But I just remember you and I coming back from Norwood being like, oh, this guy sucks and that guy sucks and oh, it's another fill-in issue. And, <laughs> and then I just stopped collecting altogether. So fast forward, uh, it was 17, so fast forward like seven years, I'm 24 or something like that. And a guy that I work with, you know how it happens. You, you see they've got a Wolverine mug or a, their wallpaper on their computer is something. You're like, oh, I like comic books. I like comic books too. And then you start, oh, remember that story? And then you, I don't know if you've ever had that experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, all the time. Every time you run into a, a comic book guy, really. Well, sure. But, you you know, it's this guy wasn't like a big fat comic book guy. He was like a manager at, at a place I worked. And we just... Yeah, neither are the people that I'm thinking of. They're yeah. generally like, uh, like students at college or uh, just, I don't know, just general guys you bump into. Yeah, right. So it was one of those random encounters. And I happened to work with him. And so we're talking about various runs and stuff, and he comes in the next day to work, and he's like, check this out. And in the bag, he had Astonishing X-Men, the trade paperback, and he also had Invincible. And then I just I just ate all of it up, and then I got hooked on Astonishing X-Men. I just thought it was brilliant. It only took me like 20 minutes to read the trade paperback, but it looked amazing. Uh, it was very well written. It didn't... I think the thing I liked about it the most is it didn't have the baggage of the Marvel Universe behind it. It right. kind of did, but... It, it was almost out of continuity right. for what was going on now, but it was very much involved in the past. It did reference to past issues, but it Astonishing X-Men stands onto itself. You can, you can pick that up, and you don't have to know anything, and you can read it, and it can be a good story. Definitely. But definitely, if you, if you are a fan, you know, it's got the... the exact panels of mm-hmm. like the the kitty pride stuff it's got a lot of references yes. to grant morrison's run yes like cassandra well, it's nova like, and it's like a it like i've not read much of that run but it seems to be like a direct sequel to, yes to that. exactly so anyhow i really like that but that's probably it's not my favorite run it's a very good run i guess i'm steeped more in nostalgia so i guess i guess i would almost say that my favorite run might have been like the mutant massacre from way back wow that is like to me that is very um uninteresting yeah as far as the run i thought you were going to say something like dark phoenix no and i think it's just because dark phoenix was before my time Hmm. i have only a couple of issues that fall in there and actually no i only have one issue and it's it's like a hoax like they're (laughs) on the shiar ship and Dark Phoenix comes back, and everyone's all scared. And it turns out that it was just a like a, an illusion gun or something. <laughs> so it wasn't even a real Dark Phoenix. It's like, it's like the only issue I have. So I've read it, of course, but um, I don't know. Like, there's something maybe as we go through in the Danger Room, I'll we'll get past that. I'm like, wow, that was brilliant. I I, I would be very curious to see when, if we get to the Mutant Massacre section, your your take on it. Oh, it just stands because up. I. Uh, like reading reading through the essentials, which is eventually right. getting into the X Men, 
collecting them for a while. I went, I, I finally, after years and years of collecting and not collecting on and off, uh, went back and started reading the essentials. And I, I think I bought the first three and just kind of dove right into them. And I don't remember very much about the mutant massacre at all. The, yeah. Uh, so two things, I have a number of the essential X-Men's as well. And at the time, I was like, I don't care that they're black and white. I just read them for the story. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't remember much of what I read. And I, I don't know if I don't know if it's because I read them too fast or if it's just because they're in black and white and they're on that crappy paper. I, I don't know. Uh, but I, I think maybe when they put color to it, maybe it's more memorable. It's not like it's beautiful or anything. It's right, not like right. it's painted work or anything. And I think it goes all throughout a bunch of comics, so there's definitely some poor artwork through it. But I think for me it was mostly like it tied into a good X-Factor run, uh, the first 25 issues of X-Factor, which just just do yourself a favor. If you haven't read them in color, uh, get them and read them because they're so good. And then it falls apart. Um but it also like the stakes were real like it wasn't everybody didn't get out okay and okay. and for the x-men it, that was other than thunderbird dying which again was before my time and had no impact on me right it was like oh my god angel's wings like they're not gonna just be okay yeah i could definitely see how that would be exciting to be reading at the time yeah but i guess maybe maybe partially because i already knew what was going to happen what was going to come out of right that. and there was some really good battle scenes between uh wolverine and saber too it's like the first time they actually fight as written mm-hmm. we'll learn later that that all gets retconned but <laughs> see i guess i don't know it's maybe it's just a nostalgia factor because there wasn't all this retconny stuff going on and things that were happening were happening right and they weren't really going back in time to change things anyhow so there you go uh, so do you think that covers what would you say your favorite X team is like what would the, and actually this could be this is a, this could be just your favorite what would be your favorite team doesn't even have to have been a team that exists as put together mm, probably the blue team when they did the Jim Lee Will Spertatio split up so that would be Wolverine uh, Cyclops Psylocke Marvel Girl um gambit uh colossus or was he on the gold team i don't know no colossus was on the gold team uh bishop was on the gold team storm was on the gold team so i and i think i think the main reason for that is just because it it was the first time i was really getting into it okay uh rogue i think was on the, the the blue team i might be getting the two teams mixed up too i think that's my problem with i got like, I was reading them, and the artwork was really good, but those stories, t- I don't know, I couldn't tell you what happens after X-Men 281 or what happens with X-Men 1 of I the series. I couldn't tell you what happened in Uncanny at that time, but X-Men, I think I read and reread, and okay. I, I read those first three issues didn't really do it for me, but once they got past that, the next, like, four issues with the Omega Red and all that stuff... That was just like... See, but okay, but Omega Red was like uh, a villain for Wolverine, yeah, right? Yeah. So that's probably why that you dug that. Yeah, probably. I personally did not like Omega Red at all. But issue four, <laughs> there was a there was that basketball scene, which was the team just playing basketball, and that was like, 
you know, that was, that, that was something that I was, it was new to me because sure. I was unfamiliar with the whole baseball thing. Sure. Oh, because yeah, they, there's every 10 years or so in X-Men universe, there's a baseball game. So it was just, it was just like seeing the, them all use their powers, uh, powers to play and, baseball. and uh, to play basketball and oh, not, basketball. and not, and they were supposed to go powerless. And then I guess Gambit charged up the ball and right. whatever it was, it was, it was just it was just fun, and I reread that issue a lot. And it ends with I think Omega Red uh, invading the school. And hmm. so I think I was buying those, and I was reading them once, bagging them, and then boxing them, and never looking at them again. So maybe one day, maybe as a part of this podcast, I will revisit those because I like Jim Lee's artwork, but I, I think to me the stories there are completely unmemorable. But again. You know, I guess I reread Mutant Mask. I probably read that four times. But mm-hmm. but as part of like, you know, this weekend I'm going to read issue 200 to 250. Right. And I probably have done that three or four times. So, uh, and then I, you know, I asked the question. So if I try to answer it, like, I, I couldn't even, um, like, I guess my favorite team... I don't know if I really have a favorite team, but I can definitely tell you that when it got to the blue team, gold team thing, I was confused because I was like, <laughs> these members, like, I know what they were trying to do. They were trying to split up the popularity so they could sell two books. But, like, I don't know. I kind of wanted half of them to retire and the <laughs> other half to just have one good, strong, solid team. Plus, I think I was annoyed that now I would have to, like, jog back and forth between stories. And the thing that I don't really like about the 90s, and I'm I'm looking through your Extinction Agenda trade paperback that you have here, and uh, when they got to these multi-part stories, like it would be like continued in X-Factor. So then the first page of X-Factor would like wrap up the last issue, and then you would just see X-Factor. And then it would say continued in New Mutants, and they do the wrap-up, and then it would just be the New Mutants. Like there wasn't like a consistent set of characters that did things. They just kind of like passed the hot potato to the next team to do the next thing. And I felt like that's what happened with Uncanny X-Men. They were like just back and forth because hmm. the stories were so closely tied together. I feel I like, like they that. actually weren't that closely tied together. I mean, there were crossovers, definitely, and and then there were... Even some like one-offs where like Bishop would show up or something like that, mm-hmm. but for the most part, they, I think they kept pretty separate. Okay. Um, but again, I don't really remember much of the Uncanny X Men side. Hmm. Uh, so for me, without all that the ba- the baggage of history right. or, or whatever the nostalgic factor, I was just uh, I I didn't really care so much about. Honestly, I think I was just really into Jim Lee's artwork. Yeah, yeah, that could be. And so, I, and so for me, X Men is the book. Oh, adjective, adge, adjective lifts. Oh my God! And it wasn't until be still my heart. It wasn't until me. the the two thousands that I started reading the Essentials and uh, and learned that there was all this this Baggage. history of <laughs> of uh, you know just a just a bigger grander picture all right i'll give you my team now that i've thought about it it would be uh nightcrawler colossus wolverine rogue and storm five members us five strong members yeah that would be the team okay and that probably exists in a comic book issue somewhere (laughs) i just can't 
pull it out from where. I also really like the astonishing team. I thought that was yeah. a, that was a really good lineup. Um, I thought that just, that was just very well written. But I think you give those characters to somebody else, and it probably doesn't work as well. Or I guess those are the, the same. Those are pretty much the same characters as the Grant Morrison run. So right. I, I just like the dynamic of the the main four are Cyclops, Emma Frost, Wolverine, and Beast. Yeah. And so, you know, not asking for spoilers or anything. Kitty Pride. Yeah, I don't even know how Emma Frost changes side, nor how she joins the X-Men. It's a very long thing that doesn't happen in X-Men. It's mainly a Generation X thing Oh, uh, that kind of progresses over the course of that series to become her, you know, crossover into her membership into the X-Men. Okay. And I still don't know how Jean Grey died the second time. Yeah, that's in Grant Morrison's run. Yeah. So I'm sure it's Phoenix related, but eventually I'll get there. Just haven't yet. And maybe I'm wrong. And if I'm wrong, then I'll be really surprised and it'll be awesome. Interesting thing. People think like people always make the joke that Phoenix and, and Jean Grey are like always dying and coming back. But she's only died twice. She well, sort of didn't die she, the she's, first time. She, she's, she's only died three times. And died the first three? time she didn't really die. Yeah, she was in suspended animation. Right. She died two more times after that? Well, okay. Don't tell me. I mean... <laughs> One, she supposedly died, but was in suspended animation. Okay. Two, it, the, the character that died wasn't actually her. It was the other character. Ma- oh, Madeline Pryor? No, no, no. Uh, Phoenix. Oh, okay. That's not really Jean. That doesn't right. count. So, so, so two deaths out of three don't count. So she's only died once. Exactly. Oh, okay. But, you know, two of those are technically retcons. Two, 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 like, she died. Yeah. And then they brought yeah, her back. Yeah. But, they but it was were, cleverly. Then they were always planning to bring her back the first time, and then that, that's cool. Right. Then they decided that they were going to bring her back in a different way, and that was kind of a retcon in X, in X Factor. I sort of a sort of a retcon. I thought that they were not. The plan was not to retcon or not to bring her back at all. Right. Like, yeah. I yeah. Think, I think that was the plan, and that's why it's sort of a retcon. Oh, they, I mean the original X. She's been in suspended animation this whole time. The original X Factor team. I think the girl was supposed to be Madeline Pryor, with no powers, and they're like, "Well, that's dumb. That doesn't make any sense." <laughs> and so they wanted to bring Jean Grey back, but Jim Shooter's like, "No, she killed all the broccolis. You can't have her." <laughs> Unless you can somehow write her in such a way where she's completely disavowed from the person who created that atrocity. Right. Hence the suspended animation. Which worked for me. Oh, it absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's great storytelling. I thought it was fantastic. As, as a retcon, if I call it that, it is uh, how retcon should be. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Not just going back and be like, well, the things we showed you. Well, that's exactly what it is, though. Yeah. The things we showed you are not exactly the way that it you don't happened. See her body like blowing. Well, what? Well, well, that's convenient. <laughs> blowing up. And, all right, well, moving on. Media. Unless you have anything else you want to talk about comic book wise. No, let's talk about media. What's media? Media. I guess multimedia because comic books are a media oh. or a medium, I suppose. All right, so there have been four X-Men cartoons, five if you count uh, Pride of the X-Men. Yeah, and there have been four X-Men movies, five if you count Wolverine. Correct. Have you seen, You've also, obviously you've seen the animated series, have you seen the other 
three. Honestly, I haven't seen any of the animated series. Um, I thought you said you saw them with me. I saw a handful of episodes with you. You haven't watched them all? And I don't think I ever saw an entire episode. (sighs) You used to videotape them and you showed them, like me, stuff, and I used to tune in and out. And I was like, this is kind of neat, but I was never like, that isn't what sold me on the X Men. I think that was just like, it was like, oh. This is this is kind of cool. I can see that. I can see that. The thing I liked about X-Men the animated series was that they didn't screw it up. <laughs> they yeah. really did a good job. They took the team that was in the comic books at the time and made them do the things that they did in the comic books. There was some modifications of course with storylines. They couldn't do it uh, you know, story for story, but it just seems to me like up until that point, like think about as good as the real Ghostbusters was, it wasn't Ghostbusters. And you had Slimer running around. I mean, they always yeah, added yeah. like a monkey or something stupid to it. Interesting fact about that, since you bring it up. This is a sidetrack. Sure. The actor that played... I know where you're going. <laughs> Go ahead, lay it out. The actor that played Peter Vinkman was the actor that played Garfield. Mm-hmm. Uh and in the Garfield movie, mm-hmm. the live-action movie, Bill Murray, who also played Peter Vinkman, played the voice of Garfield. So we have two actors in the world that have played both Peter Vinkman and Garfield, which I think is kind of cool. It's very cool. And the guy who played Garfield, his name is Lorenzo something or other, and he died before the Garfield movie came out. So I had I, I could look this up, of course. but You think they were going to have him play the part? I think... Well, that I think if they didn't, that would be a, just a shame and a huge yeah, mistake. Yeah. But I always, I often wondered if, since the real Ghostbusters was such a good show, and it was that guy doing the voice of Peter Venkman, if it wasn't somehow Bill Murray just like giving a nod to that guy, probably not, probably completely unrelated. But I like to think that. Yeah, that's uh, it's an interesting thought. I <laughs> I I tend to think that it's just an amazing coincidence. It's but... a totally amazing coincidence, <laughs> though. How does that happen? It, it just, uh, I, th- I think it has to do with the characters. They both, they both are kind of... Uh... Well, the Lorenzo Garfield guy, he, he, I mean, he did a lot of... Yeah, he yeah. always did the same voice, but right, he right, did right. a lot of uh, animated stuff. So it makes sense that he was doing uh, Peter Venkman. But what doesn't make... I mean, Bill Murray's not a... But Bill Murray is perfect actor. as Garfield. It's, it's, it's... I think anybody would be perfect as Garfield because yeah, all you have to do is not care and then deliver your lines. Right. And that's exactly what he did. Right. But somehow his Bill Murray-ness really works. I mean, you know it's Bill Murray. I mean, if you you're, a kid, if you're yeah. a kid, you don't. But, you know, I... I Interesting factoid. Back to the X-Men. Yeah. So X-Men, the animated series, I really liked it because they didn't screw it up. Uh, they didn't add things, remove things. They just like they just said, this is the X-Men and let's do this show. Um, whereas you take something like X-Men Evolution. Did you ever see that? Like maybe an episode. X-Men Evolution. They're all at the mansion. Uh, Which one? This is the one that takes place at high school. That's X-Men Evolution. Okay. Yeah, I've seen pieces of the first episode half of the x-men are teenagers going to high school the brotherhood of evil mutants are like the bullies in the high school they all know who each other is but they wait till after school to <laughs> suit it i don't know was not a fan of x-men evolution um but what was actually not half bad is wolverine and the x-men have you seen that one no wolverine and the x-men starts off with a very interesting uh um plot 
basically somebody has attacked the mansion and Jean Grey dies as a result of this attack. Uh, and the X-Men are, they basically spend two seasons trying to figure out what happened to Jean Grey. Hmm. And uh, they and there's also a major subplot where the professor is in a coma and they can't wake him up, but he wakes up 20 years in the future and astrally projects himself back to Wolverine and explains, like, you got to do something because there's nothing but sentinels and death here. Hmm. And so they kind of have a days of future past right. future, but he, Professor X is... Knows that he like has somewhat come. He, he's come to the conclusion that he can't change the future, but what he can do is at least give Wolverine the tools to give them things to fight back with, so that they can at least not stop it, but like stop it at that point. Mm-hmm. So it's going to happen, but maybe they can end it. That's kind of a neat. It's kind of a neat series. Yeah, it sounds pretty neat. Yeah, good animation. It was animated up in Canada. They only did two seasons though, which is sad. And I did I, they wrap up the series or did I, it... I only watched the first season oh. and a half. So I don't even know how it ends. I'm gonna say it ended awesomely and they found <laughs> Jean Grey and she was just fine. <laughs> I don't know that for a fact though. And then there's X Men anime. Have you seen that? Nope. It's a Japanese produced I guess when all the movies hit they did an Iron Man anime, X Men anime, Avengers anime, Spider Man anime. I picked them both up for like five dollars a piece, the DVDs. There's two of them, uh, and I started watching it. The animation's good, but uh, I guess the story writers and animators didn't know much about America, so they have them in New York, and then they have an event happen which forces them to go to Japan. Oh. <laughs> and they spend the rest of the season in Japan fighting the U-Men. Oh, okay. I've only watched a couple of episodes of that. It's it's good. But again, same thing. Uh, Jean, it, the series starts with Jean Grey as the Phoenix being corrupted and then sacrificing herself and dying. So it seems to be a kind of a common trend if you're going to make an X-Men cartoon. So there you go. And then there's Pride of the X-Men, which, again, I haven't seen. You haven't seen Pride of the X-Men? No. Nope. Oh, man. So when I was a kid, again, about fifth grade, uh, they kept threatening, not threatening, they kept advertising that this new X-Men cartoon was going to come out. Here's another coincidence. Uh, you remember Marvel Age? The, yeah. The 50 Cent, like, yep. here's what's coming in Marvel. Well, in the middle, they would have a comic, and I think maybe sometimes it was Fred Hembeck, and other times it was just people writing comic strips, making fun of storylines or whatever. Well, they had one uh, because the rumor was the guy that was going to play Wolverine was going to be Australian. <laughs> they made this whole long thing about, oh my god, it's the X-Men, it's awesome, and there's Wolverine, and uh, he sounds horrible, and that was like the whole joke. Well, fast forward to X-Men 1, when Hugh Jackman <laughs> is announced, I'm like, he's Australian. I wonder if they did that on purpose. Because <laughs> apparently I like to find coincidence or uh, 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 conspiracies in everything. Um, another TV show. Um, do you, did, you, did you ever see Mutant X? No. Okay. Was that an X-Men related show? It was kind of X-Men related. Wasn't it a live action show? Yeah, it was a, live, ac- it was a live action show. It was about um, mutants, but it didn't feature any major characters. Like, Did it feature any known character? I'm not sure. Oh. Um, and then there was also a Generation X pilot, which didn't okay. go anywhere, which f- did feature all the characters from Generation X, oh. which I would I would actually like to torrent that or acquire that. Yes, purchase it through legal means. I don't think you can, actually. Oh, acquire it. Yeah, that sucks about some of that stuff in media. So Mutant X, was that a Marvel thing, or did it just happen to have that name? And- no, I think it, it was a legitimate 
X-Men related thing, but it, I don't know if it was Marvel, but, but I think it came, um, I think it came after the X-Men movie, uh, during, it could have been during the kind of popularity of what was going on. I feel on. like that was a show that hit Fox and was put on Saturdays at 1030 at night. Yeah. I'm like sure nobody watched more it. than a season or anything like that. Huh. Mutant X to check that out anybody uh, seen mutant x you should let us know and tell us if it's good so let's talk about let's just talk about the movies as long as we're here what did you think of uh when you heard that there was going to be x-men one oh i was psyched in which they didn't say x-men one but they said an x-men movie i was excited i you know this was uh prior to the current comic book boom so there were the expectations were fairly low mm-hmm but the trailers looked really accurate and mm-hmm. good, um, and and it seemed pretty uh, cinematic. It, they they seemed like they they had developed a style. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't just a film that was going to be all these bright colored, silly looking stuff as we had gotten in the past. Mm-hmm. It was uh, like like a Superman movie or or the the terrible directive video Captain America or whatever, <laughs> uh, or Punisher. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, but this looked like a legitimate movie, and, and the actors were solid, and it, it looked really good. And then upon actually seeing it, it was, it was uh, in retrospect, well, in retrospect, well, we'll talk about that later. It was, it was really good for the time. It was, it was exciting. It was, it was the X-Men. It was like, oh, this is, this is good. He, there's a miniature Berserker Rage from Wolverine, mm-hmm. and... Um, it just it just had all the right stuff. I thought it was awesome, of course, and I saw it in the theater, and I, my parents were there because my parents liked X Men too. They would read my comic books as soon as I got done reading them, <laughs> and we didn't even we weren't even meeting there, which is how odd it was. Like we showed up, and it was like, "Hey, they're my parents," and we watched <laughs> the X Men, friends and parents alike. And, and you all, sat separately. Yeah, I was like, "Ooh, those are my parents." Don't, don't look. <laughs> over. Uh, and we all thought it was wonderful. Uh, and maybe it's simply because prior to that, all we had been given was Captain America and mm-hmm. Punisher. And this was like a seriously well-performed, good special effects, kind of true to the story, X-Men movie. And so maybe the expectation... I'm not going to say it's bad because it was not a bad film. I actually just recently watched it. Oh, I, I don't think it was it was bad. I just feel like in retrospect, it's not as good as I remember it. No. There's, well, a, there's a lot of cheese therein. It is... Maybe it's just because I, I, I have such fond memories of seeing it in the theater that I can overlook all of that. Uh, but the thing that I struggle with now is let's just talk about casting of that movie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think... Uh, Hugh Jackman's great, too mm-hmm. tall, but what are you going to do? Right. But he, he pulls it off. He's got the, the chops. He's got the hair. He's pretty much perfect. Interesting note, uh, the the guy who is, well, this isn't an interesting note if you don't know who the guy is, but um, do you remember Mission Impossible 2? Ah, uh, no. Yeah, so this is going to be a very interesting I note. saw Mission Impossible 1, <laughs> and I may not have even seen 2. Carry on. The guy who played the main villain in uh, Mission Impossible 2, who I don't even remember his name because he went nowhere. Uh Um, He was supposed to play Wolverine, but because he signed up for Mission Impossible 2 instead, Hugh Jackman got the role. Nice. 
And it was Hugh Jackman's first role, mm -hmm. major motion picture role, right? Right. Yeah. So, uh, great. Perfect. Perfect casting. Uh, James Marsden as Cyclops. I'll buy it. I, yeah? Yeah, I like I like James Marsden. He's uh I thought yeah, he's good. He's um I don't know what I know him from. He plays a good Cyclops. Um he's he was in the last two seasons of Thirty Rock. <laughs> oh. And uh he's and good I never watched that. Thirty Rock, but And that that's all I know him in. And uh I've 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 enjoyed I think he's a good Cyclops. I, I mean, don't think they gave him enough to do. Yeah, it wasn't a very meaty role, but right. Okay. So yeah, I, I I'm I'm okay with that. I, I wish they would have given him a little bit more. I mean, like he, a, a scene where he says, "These eyes, <laughs> don't you realize how deadly these <laughs> eyes are?" Let me cut that cake for you. <laughs> um, he came off too young and cocky for me, and uh, uh, Cyclops is not young and cocky. He's very serious and. Would you understand the stakes of this? I feel like he was super serious as as well as cocky. Okay. But it worked. It worked for me. I mean, the the uh, animosity or the the friction between him and Wolverine, I thought, came off well. Yeah. Now the woman, uh, Jean Grey, what, from Famke Jansen. 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 I didn't. I didn't like her at all. Really? And the only reason is, is because she was. I think she was the mother in Sixth Sense, wasn't she? Maybe I don't. I think I don't. she was the mother in Sixth Sense. So they cast her in there. And I'm like, I'm just thinking like this woman's like a, a an eight year old's mother. <laughs> I don't know, like, she's a perfectly good actress, but that's not who I saw playing Marvel Girl. She... Or Jean Grey, I should say. She worked fine for me. Really? Yeah. Um, may, maybe not 100% perfect, but she was... Uh, I didn't have any problems. But I mean, I can't tell you what actress I would want in that role, but it, some... I. Again, when the movie played, I was like, this is wonderful. But after watching it for like a third or fourth time, I was like, you know, I could have done with somebody else in this role. And she just doesn't, she's either too quiet or too serious. I'm not sure what it is, but something about her. Or maybe it's just the fact that she doesn't have that big curly hair that that the Jean Grey we know and love Nor has. Nor do any human beings. <laughs> I know. But that brings us to unnatural hair, Halle Berry as Storm. I love Halle Berry when she's got a strong director. She is a great actress when she does not have a strong or a strong director. Uh, when she does not have a strong director, she can border, she can be borderline terrible. I don't. She she wasn't terrible in this movie. She wasn't. She wasn't terrible, but she wasn't great. She she definitely did not reach. I don't. I feel like they cast her out based on her name, and they really didn't know what to do with Storm. Storm, I mean, they got the color right. She's black. I mean, right, dyed exactly. her hair white. That's that, fine. Then that that's that's it. Beyond that, that that really isn't Storm. Storm to me, and maybe this is the voice characterization from X Men the animated series, but she should have not necessarily an African accent, but she should have a very deep, powerful woman's voice. Yeah, she is majestic. She is uh, mm -hmm. grand. She is a powerful, imposing woman. Halle Berry. Probably could be, actually. I don't think I, she's, I, like, physical stature. She's not big enough. Yeah, maybe not. But she could... They could have definitely done something more with her. Who I just was, think they'd have no idea. What. Who was the woman from Stella Got... How Stella Got Her Groove Back? Seriously? You're asking me yeah, this? Yeah, because that woman was, like, everything for a while. I don't know. Uh, Jessica... Oh, I can't remember her name. 
I think she would have been better for the role. Probably. There you, there you go. <laughs> Stella from How Stella Got Her Groove Back. I think she she was everywhere forever. And, I think but she she had she looked she she's black. And uh, Halle Berry black whatever, but she's like a a a, a light black, I guess. I, I don't know. I don't want to judge that, but that well, that she, doesn't matter. But the one I'm thinking about, she's very she's very black. She's very she's got very powerful eyes. She's and she's not fat, but she's like big built and mm-hmm. a, a big majestic woman. Mm-hmm. So if I could just pull her name out, maybe you could connect something. <laughs> Angela, no. Angela, Jolie. No, no. Anyhow, um, well, I, 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 I think Halle Berry. They, I think they just she would have worked. They could have. They would have had to alter Storm's character a little, but. I feel like they didn't even attempt. Yeah. I think they could have made it work. And I think that's the case for all three movies. Yeah. Um, what other... Uh, who else do we have? Uh, well, I mean, Patrick Stewart, he worked, of course. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ian McKellen. As Magneto. Yeah, worked for me. Um, I don't think the Anna mask translated Paquin. well. Oh, yeah. Anna Paquin. I, you know, she she was great. I don't know if she was great. She was good. Uh, well, she is an example of rewriting the character of Rogue in a way that worked, which is this is what they should have done for Storm. But they didn't rewrite her character. They kind of did. How? She was uh, much younger than we've ever seen Rogue. That's not true. Really? When you get when we get to... She's always just been drawn older than she actually is. In Uncanny X-Men, when we're introduced to her, she's like 16 or 17 years old. But she looks older. She looks like she's 22. Yeah, but then there's the whole criminal element. and Right. She was a criminal because she her, she was raised by Destiny and Mystique. And I feel like Rogue that is, part was is, is a bombastic, powerful character, like, like Storm. Yeah. And and uh, Anna Paquin and the Rogue that she portrayed, it was, it was not that. She was the learning curve, uh-huh. uh, which works for the story because um, I really think they, they came into the story – from rogue's point of view and it they they wrote a really strong character well and her i mean but a lot of that was steeped right from the comic books i mean she yeah. kissed a guy and that's when her right, power right, manifested right. well yeah and she yeah. ran away all that was and they and, and they kind of put her in the kitty pride role yeah yeah sure but again i i, I don't know i go back and forth she was the right age for the character that was in the comic book but the comic book character to me i always looked like she was like 20 but I think they always do that with comic book characters. Right. <laughs> to, I don't know. Anyways. Um, and then the biggest problem I had was Sabretooth, whoever played that, the wrestler. Yeah, I don't, I don't think he had a name, did he? I mean, of he, course he had a he name. He didn't have any lines. <laughs> he did. He didn't have any lines? He didn't have a single line? Uh, maybe he did. But I think he like, said, like, doesn't he grunt. Just grunt? <laughs> do you have a problem with him because of what they did in the Wolverine movie or do you just have a problem with they just didn't use him right or I have a problem with both uh I feel like in the Wolverine movie that was the one good thing about it they that was an accurate portrayal of Sabretooth I agree and disagree okay so the one that they used for X-Men reminded me of the Sabretooth from Mutant Massacre, or when we were first introduced to Sabretooth. He could talk, though. Right. 
but he what I mean he didn't have a he didn't wear clothes. I, mean, I think he had like a loincloth or something, but he was mostly just a a hairy man. I mean, there's a character that throughout the time has been evolved and retconned into something he was never ever intended to be. Mm, okay. Uh, so that's I came from it from that like oh they 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 plucked him right out of the this time period and they put him in the movie. Well, by the time the movie came out, it didn't feel like the for for me Correct. coming from my sure. perspective, I was like this isn't Sabretooth. this is just some thug. So I understand how you could have a problem with it. It didn't bother me. I think what really bothered me was they just completely disregarded that when they did the Wolverine movie. Right. Unless they've got some connecting story at some point where they show him devolving. The Sabretooth movie. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, uh, Ray Park is Toad. Eh, yeah. Darth Maul. Darth Maul is Snake Eyes. And he never came back. Like, he got zapped off by Storm and he didn't come back for the other two movies. And then Mystique. And then the great line, you know what happens to a toad when it gets struck by lightning? Same thing as everything else. <laughs> Stupid line. Uh, and then there was Mystique. And then the biggest problem I have with Mystique... Is that she's naked all the time. she's naked the whole time. Like, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> like, why... I it? I guess it looked neat. It was like there a makeup artist who was on set who was like... I'm going to make my mark with this costume. And you know what the costume is? Nothing at all. <laughs> but she doesn't have parts unless she shapeshifts those parts when she needs them. Honestly, this doesn't bother me. I hated it. <laughs> because she's a shapeshifter, and if she was wearing clothes, how would she shapeshift those clothes? Well, yeah. Like, the, the thing about Mystique in the movies, at least, is that she's always, she's constantly changing costumes. There's one problem I have with that. So in the comic books, we learn that Mystique can imitate any organic being that's roughly the same mass. Mm-hmm. So like she can't turn herself into an ant and she can't turn herself into uh, an elephant. Uh, but she could turn... Her, I don't think we've ever seen her turn herself into a deer, but presumably she could. Uh, in the movie, she turns herself into a stone pillar... In the Statue of Liberty. Oh. And then you see her eyes blink, and that's like, wait, she can't do that. <laughs> if she could do that, why doesn't she just turn herself into inanimate objects all the time? She could be a hell of a spy then. Oh, well. That's just a piece of nitpickery. <laughs> but anyways, uh, the comic book set herself up with a neat costume. I mean, you don't have to give her that white flowing thing, but that skull belt is neat. Um, I just don't know why they made her naked. Don't know. You didn't mind, though. I shrugged. (laughs) All right. What about uh, X2? X2 suffers from the same Wolverine uh, villain problem that the first one does, in that they feature Lady Deathstrike, and she has no personality whatsoever. Yeah. Well, so X2 overall, I think, is is still great. I think it's a lot of fun. But you're right. The Lady Deathstrike thing, it's like we're going to put her there because this is going to make the fanboys geek out. And then we're going to do it completely wrong and have her not talk. <laughs> yeah. And, like, you should have saved her for the Wolverine movie. Right. Or anything. I, I, but um, but I am actually of the... I, I tend to disagree with the majority of people. And I find X2 boring as hell. Really? <laughs> yeah. And there, there are parts of it that I like. Uh, don't get me wrong. There are definitely some good scenes. But it is too long and... The the X movies um, are not 
well known for their fight scenes. The first one, the fight <laughs> scenes are cheesy. The second one, the fight scenes are boring. And then that's just me. I know I'm disagreeing with 80% of people in the world. Oh, see, I love the scene in X2 where the government is barging in on the mansion and Wolverine jumps from the second floor and he's oh, got yeah. his arms flailing and the claws yeah. are out there. Super cool scene. That is a great Although scene. Although I don't like the exact scene that you're talking about where he's got his arms out because I think the claws wobble or something like that and oh. it bugs me. I haven't seen it. Well, now if I watch it again, I'd be like, Adam's right. This movie sucks. <laughs> I don't rec- I don't. I, maybe I saw past that, but I haven't seen any claws wobble. I'm like, this is awesome. This is just like a comic book. Right, yeah. And, and that scene is really cool it's definitely very comic book like right it's it's because it's not a fight scene it's it's a well done it's a well choreographed scene. scene yeah um yeah i don't know and i like the opening when they're in the mall and we're getting some exposition of all the mutants and they're doing various things and the professor locks their mind and and they leave i've only seen the movie twice and honestly the second time i wasn't as bored as the first time okay I just watched it like a couple of weeks ago. I don't know why. I was just like, I'm going to watch these X-Men movies. Uh, I mean, of course, it rewrites a whole lot of stories. I think as we get into the storylines in the Danger Room, well, I'll probably say this is where they. I think they got this element for whatever movie. But yeah, X2 borrows from a lot of different places. Mainly God, Love Men, God Loves Man Kills. Right. Which I've never read. I think, yeah. And I'll have to reread that. When, and, and we'll do that on Danger Room. We're just not quite sure when. X-Men 3, The Last Stand. Well... You love this movie. I don't love this movie. I hold that it is the return of the Jedi of the series, which is to say that it's the most fun of the three. Its action scenes are actually good. I totally disagree. And um, it's actually the rest of the movie that falls apart. It's the, I only like the action scenes. If you could take the action scenes okay. of X3 and everything else from X2... And and combine that kind of energy of the action scenes into X2, you would have a perfect X-Men movie. Give me an action scene that you thought was well done. Uh, the first thing that pops into my mind is Juggernaut chasing Kitty Pride <laughs> through the... I hate the... that. I mean, yeah, it was kind of boom, 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 and then she's phasing, and, and then she... She, oh, and then she runs next to Leech, and the powers are absorbed, and then yeah. oh, Juggernaut's out for the count, and we never see him again. Well, that's irrelevant. It was a fun fight scene. <laughs> All right. Um, I feel like beast swinging around is a lot of fun, but I, can't, I don't remember when that happens. That's There's... hard for me to stomach because it's Frasier, and Frasier does do a good beast if you're going to go to the science. He's a route. great beast. Yeah, but it just when he's swinging around, you're like, you know that's not Frasier. <laughs> <laughs> you know that's either CG or uh, a stunt double for sure. Um, I... Just watched it again. I bought it. I bought it on eBay. I bought the like super deluxe edition because it has like a little comic book <laughs> in there. And I bought it. It was like three bucks. And I thought it would look nice on the shelf. And I was like, I'm going to watch this because you know what? I saw it in the theater and I thought it was horrible. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I've been listening to Adam's advice lately. And he sometimes say says you got to pay attention to a movie for the fun aspect of it. <laughs> and I was like, well, let's see how fun this movie is. And it's... It's just a Wolverine movie that happens to contain some other X-Men. Maybe that's why I like it. <laughs> and I do I definitely do not like the scene where Wolverine kills Phoenix and walks towards her slowly and doesn't he say something like I love you or I don't know. Right, the whole Jean Grey Wolverine love thing was not well established in the franchise. All you got was like, "Hey, you're pretty and you helped me." 
you know you like it <laughs> and that's it and like and then we get a hint of that next two and the next three he's like in love with her and you, you won scott no that's at the end of x2 you won scott she chose you she chose you in the end <laughs> and it's like <"Hey>, what <laughs> when was this when was there ever an option unless Jean gray is that week where she's like I'm so in love with Cyclops until this hairy man who smokes a car comes up to me and starts kissing me. Then I'm not sure what I want. <laughs> so that was kind of bad. But I I tried. I really tried with X3. And um, I like all the addition of the mutants. I liked that they tried to get the Morlocks in there. But I didn't like that the Callisto, I think, was the girl, comes up and she's like, I can sense a mutant. And you're a class four. What the hell's a class four? And where do these, who defined these classes? And then, oh, I can sense she's even stronger than a class four, referring to Phoenix. And she doesn't do anything in that movie. Uh-huh. She literally stands there and I think maybe delivers three or four words. Well, nobody really does anything in that movie except for Wolverine, Jean Grey, and Magneto. I think Storm has a little bit more to do in this movie than she did the other two movies, but. You're right, yeah. Angel was neat. It was neat. I mean, they they didn't really mess up that effect of him flying, but he really served no purpose. Yeah. Other than to like, oh, here's the other part I didn't like. So he's about to be injected with the anti-mutant serum, and he breaks free, and he apparently flies from that laboratory to, uh, which was in San Francisco, right? Mm -hmm. To the X-Mansion, and says... (laughs) I heard this is a school for gifted kids. And the X-Men are just reeling over the professor's death. And they're like, what are we going to do? We're going to have to break up the school. And as soon as Angel comes in, they're like, no, <laughs> we're going to stay and keep teaching students. Well, that's cheesy. Movie it was like, what? For you. what? <laughs> I, I, did, I did like in the third one, the whole uh, mutant cure thing. And I like the fact that Rogue takes the cure. Yeah, I mean, I... I did and I didn't. Uh, they were. I mean, they they featured Rogue in the first movie. They kind of had her in the second movie because I think they felt obligated to have mm. her, but they didn't really use her. And then she like wasn't there for the third movie at all. And then like there was that love thing with Bobby and Kitty, where Bobby's like, "Oh, let me remind you of Illinois and make this pond into an ice rink and we can skate." And he makes stupid ice skates with his power. <laughs> Uh, that sounds exactly like Bobby that we've done so far. Yeah, I suppose. But anyways. Uh, we forgot a major element from X2. What was that? Nightcrawler. Oh, Nightcrawler was... Uh, I liked Alan Cummings as uh, Nightcrawler. It's a very good uh, uh, actor, I guess. A very very good representation of the character. And I only Alan. knew him from one of the Pierce Brosnan uh James Bond movies. Oh, and I think he was in a movie called Circle of Friends, and he was like the creepy boyfriend or something. Okay. So I've seen him in a couple of movies. But yeah, he was great. I didn't like the fact that they gave him all those swirly scars. Yeah, I didn't like that either. Again, I kind of felt like the makeup artist was like, well, let's, what are we going to do here? Like, just make him blue, give him the hair, and, and off he goes. And I thought the the uh, the opening scene with him being... Um, teleporting all throughout the White House. I thought that was really well done. Yeah, that was awesome. Him punching all the people through his teleportation. I thought that was great. But my major problem with him was the story didn't really use him that much. No, not really. Not to a memorable extent. I remember there's a scene by a fire 
where he's all sad. And there's a scene where he says to Mystique, you're blue too, or something like that. Well, you have, I am told that you have the ability to change your appearance. Why don't you look like a human? And she says something like, after what you've been through, why would you want to? Or something like that. Mm -hmm. And that like makes it okay for him to be blue and, and fuzzy. The only other thing he does is, uh, he 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 came from the church, and so they're they're hinting at his uh, uh, religious leanings. And uh, at the end of the movie, Storm's like, "You need to teleport me into that fake uh, cerebro." And oh, I cannot, I cannot see what happens. I could beam us into a, a, a wall, or I wouldn't know where I was beaming. And Storm's like, "You have to have faith." <laughs> and then she's like, or he's like, I'll do it for you." <laughs> and he does. And then she's like, "It's about to get really cold in here." And uh, and Nicola's like, I'm not afraid. And it's like, why don't you just beam out? I mean, all Storm <laughs> needs to do is freeze the air so that the professor wakes up. That was the only reason. But anyways, you're right. <laughs> Nightcrawler did not really forward the story at all. But it was neat to see him in there. Yeah. And that's that's the problem with all of three of the X movies. A lot of the times it's just neat to see them and they don't serve much of a purpose. I get, that would be the problem with all of the X-Men movies, yeah. to be honest. Um, you got to see a little bit more Colossus in X-Men 3, which is okay. Iceman ices up in X3, which is just stupid looking. I don't even remember It's that. at the very end when they're on the island. He just, they're like, go get him, Bobby. And he just CG ices up and it just looks <laughs> terrible. So we had done a podcast on Days of Futures Past a little bit ago. And you had read an article saying that Brian Singer was con- uh, considering a retcon of X3 to make some things work, to potentially make Scott not dead. Well, he's been very vague about the whole thing. He has. So I would like to take this opportunity to wildly speculate on what <laughs> you would do, because I have an idea, but I'd like to see if you have any. Oh, uh, um, no, no, go right ahead. You have no ideas? Uh, I, I used to, but I right now I'm just being a spectator. Okay. I have some great ideas for how they should start the next G.I. Joe movie. But that's another podcast. Are there? Is there two GI Joe movies, or have they just been advertising the second one forever? The, the second one has uh, was supposed to come out maybe last year, okay, maybe at the beginning of this year, but it, it keeps getting delayed. Okay, because I'm like, I swear I saw ads for that thing like a year and a half ago, and I'm like, did I miss it? Okay, not that I mean the first one wasn't. No, it was terrible, but it was... I want to see it. But again, it was fun. Yeah. Yeah. And the second one looks like it's going to be more fun because they get get more things right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, what I don't want to have... Because he's hinted that maybe... Like, we don't know anything, right? We just read something that's a Mm -hmm. speculation. So whatever. Uh, Cyclops died. Professor X died. Jean Grey died. Well, Professor X's body transport... His soul transported into some... Uh, I forget. It was the. It was at the very beginning of the movie. They said, "Is it morally unethical to occupy the mind of a body whose brain has been dead for years?" Right. And the students are like, "That's horrible." And other students are like, "Well, I don't see that being so bad." And then he wakes up in that subject's right. mind. But that happened after the credits. So credits. So one could say that that never actually happened. If I'm okay. being nitpicky, what I don't want to have happen is for Cyclops to just be like, "Hey, everybody." <laughs> <laughs> he has a beard. He's like, I've just been backpacking in the mountains for a while. Yeah, it turns out Jean Grey teleported me into the mountains. It was cool. Yeah, I mean, I guess that would work. But but here's here's what I see. And I don't think that this is what's going to happen. But I think maybe you could tie this into a Days of Futures past movie. 
And here's how. Shi'ar. <laughs> now, it's not a movie about Shi'ar, but the Shi'ar detected the phoenix's power uh-huh. and came close to Earth and witnessed a couple of unleashings. And during the unleashings of these powers, they locked on to the subject, which happened to be mutant subjects, Cyclops and the Professor, <laughs> and saved them. This introduces Cyclops to his father, Corsair. This introduces the Professor to Lilandra. And uh, we can say that they got damaged, but Shi'ar technology healed them up and something. Now, the movie's not about them, but it, it, it helps us explain any of the magic elements of the danger room and, and that sort of stuff. And we introduce the Shi'ar stuff, and we have a quick little thing. Uh, and hell, maybe you can even use this to explain the age discrepancy between Havoc and Cyclops. <laughs> about how light travels and, like... Well, to us, it was five years ago, but that was 20 years of your time. Well, there isn't an age discrepancy, really. I mean, in the movie universe, they're, they're, that's just their ages. Mm-hmm. Savick would be an old, old, older brother. Yeah, but that means, like, the parents had, like, a 20-year gap between... My parents have a 20-year gap between their kids. All right, fair enough. Okay. But still, Shi'ar. I'm Havoc. My sister <laughs> is Cyclops. <laughs> Shi'ar comes in, and that's how you explain away... Every stupid thing that happened in X3. In just like, in, there's like five minutes of the movie? Well, they all, they're all, they, they come down because they, the Sentinels and stuff. And, and, and then, okay, so you do some more retcon stuff where uh, the government has found a crashed Shi'ar spaceship. And the crash Shi'ar spaceship contains AI that they use for the Sentinels and uh, the Shi'ar people that were uh, that had rescued the professor and cyclops uh, realize this and they go back to retrieve this so like the movie's not about them but they help uh, in the future and then you have the first class students who really don't know much about this in the past or or maybe that's even use your technology to facilitate the time travel of whichever character goes back and forth hmm. see if you do i think i feel like if a clever enough writer took that like you could make it believable and you could make it work. You'd have a couple of groans when you first see the professor and Cyclops, but I think you'd get over it really quick. Yeah. Well, I think everybody wants the professor and Cyclops back anyway. Right. So it would be a very forgiving rewrite. You leave Jean Grey dead because there's no reason to bring her back. Uh, and then you, then there you go. You heard it here first, folks. Shi'ar. <laughs> and then maybe Shi'ar beams Emma Frost from the past into the future and falls in love with Cyclops. And boom, you got your next movie. <laughs> Astonishing X-Men. That becomes the third uh, yeah. installment of First Class. That'd be a good one. <laughs> do, do you have any retcon ideas for how you fix X3 and tie it into Days of Future's past? No, but it's been speculated. Well, not speculated, but it's been joked about that the X-Men 3 is the future that they want to rewrite. Yeah, yeah, but they don't. I mean, other than having sentinels in the danger room, I don't know how you would do that. But it's a time travel story, so maybe, maybe what happens is <laughs> no. I guess fine, sure. I, I, maybe I, I what know. happens is that future, a couple years down the line, Cyclops and Professor X are dead. Yeah, sentinels show up, and everything goes to crap. And that's when Kitty Pride jumps back into the past because I, I think she's been she's been recast. Yeah, she's been recast, and um, and then they they change the future and you have a whole new franchise. So then, at the end of Days of Future's Past, the Professor and Cyclops and maybe even Jean Grey are just there. Yeah, because the time stream, even though it was irrelevant to X three, yep. just changed something enough that they they lived. Yeah. 
Okay. I don't know. <laughs> that's not as clever as my Shi'ar <laughs> idea, but that's probably more plausible. <laughs> it would probably be a lot easier to write and film. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Do you have any thoughts on um, Wolverine? X-Men uh, Origins Wolverine? Um yeah, what a terrible movie. Okay. <laughs> um, the the, the, uh, the the stuff that I liked about it was the relationship between Sabretooth and Wolverine. Because it was, it was straight out of the later day comics. I definitely liked the opening scene when they're running through the wars. Right, right. I thought that was very well shot. But I, didn't like that, man. I could care less about Wolverine origin. I think it's always been bad, so I didn't have a craving to see it on the big screen. Oh, really? The, the comic book series? Yeah. I thought it was long, and I mean, yeah, I, there's different uh, there's things that tie that time into modern time. Like his savior was a redheaded woman, hence why he right. likes redheads. And right. I thought that X Men Origins would have been kind of cool if they would have opened with some of the elements of Wolverine Origins number one, in which they did. Yeah, but I don't think did he have the claws? Yeah, they, they they did that whole scene where he claws his. Oh, I really like that then, his, <laughs> even though I don't remember it. So I like that the the first clawing yeah. where he kills somebody accidentally, his his mother's husband or yeah, something. Not, but not his father. I don't I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the rest of it was just not good. Yeah, uh, bad use of the blob and bad oh. use of uh, Deadpool and Gambit. Gambit was awful, and who was uh, uh, the black-eyed peas guy supposed to be? There was a black-eyed. He teleported the black oh. teleporter with the leather trench coat. I don't know. Uh, I got a feeling, guy. I got a feeling tonight. Yeah, I'm not too familiar with the black-eyed peas. Uh, Will I am? Oh, okay. You don't know who he was supposed to be? You're blowing my mind with your knowledge of the Black Eyed Peas. <laughs> I like the Black Eyed Peas. Oh, okay. Until they got to that album. I don't like that album. <laughs> Anyhow. Um, no, I don't know who he is. Okay. So I think that pretty much sums up everything from Wolverine. You, you either are like, oh, why'd they waste him? Or who's that guy? Yeah. Okay. And then uh, just to just to be a completist, what about uh, First Class? Well, you know, we did a podcast. I guess we did a whole this. podcast. So, yeah. I, I think our summation was we both liked it, um, but it, it it's pretty much like all the rest of the films. It uh, it exists for for what it is. It is it is it is what it is. It's not great. It's not bad. It's more or less popcorn. It was a popcorn flick for sure. I could sit here and nitpick it, but for some reason, I uh, like I, I I would feel. M- more comfortable nitpicking X-Men. I don't know why the first movie uh, over this one, just because I accept it for what it is. I think it was a, a, a pretty well-made movie. Yeah. That happened, slap different uniforms on them and don't call them X-Men. I think it's still a good movie. Mm-hmm. Like they just It just happened to incorporate the X franchise. So, any other thoughts on the X-Men movie franchise as a whole? I guess we've we've beaten that subject to death through this podcast and others. Yep. So let's move on to what our listeners think. What do you say, Adam? Sure. <laughs> so we got a letter from Jack State on February 27th. And he says that uh, he, he would like to thank us for creating the podcast. You're welcome. <laughs> Absolutely. 
uh, and he was recently able to continue his collection of X Factor after having been stuck on finding issue number six for many years. I'm curious what volume of X Factor he's referring to. I would assume the original run, maybe, but maybe not. Um, it's a good question. I believe they returned to the original numbering at some point. I think you're right. Uh, again, I can't. Not enough praise for the first 25 issues or so of X Factor. There's one thing that I'm looking for, and I'm going to look towards you for this, Adam. Uh, in in X Factor, there's an issue where uh, spoilers. Scott goes from he leaves the. He he's part of X Factor. He's a reluctant leader of X Factor, and finally he gets a break. It's like around issue fourteen or so, and he goes back to Alaska because he needs to return back to Madeline and check on his son. And when he goes back there, uh, Master Mold is there. Master Mold had fallen from a satellite, and in the comic it refers to it as like Hulk Annual something or other. Mm-hmm. So I'm really hoping that during our Danger Room we stumble across wow, what and how that involved like. Because it's very neat. Like apparently, after that issue, it, Master Mold falls into the ocean, and then like uh, an errant electrical um, line in the ocean uh, stranger comes across like his leg or something and electrocutes him and ignites the circuits, and then he starts repairing himself. <laughs> and he's like repairing himself with boats and all <laughs> so anything he can find, just like assembling himself with. And he's just like this Frankenstein of a Master Mold. And then he recognizes Cyclops, and oh, it's on, and it's and Cyclops <laughs> is dealing with all these demons, and he's not even sure he's fighting Master Mold. He just he just doesn't know. What, oh, it's just it's just a great great issue and a great run. So if that's what you're talking about, Jack State, isn't it great? Isn't it awesome? <laughs> um, he is constantly imagining our comedic narration for X Factor. I don't think I could do it. I think I would just be like, man, this is brilliant. <laughs> Boy, I love this. <laughs> like, look what they're doing now. So it would be up to me. <laughs> it's freaking genius. <laughs> look what they did to Beast. Uh, Carl Maddox comes back. Yeah, yeah. And he's got a mutant son, and there's a huge story with that. Oh, my God. <laughs> anyway, uh, I digress. Um so in 1990, he received a box of Marvel Classic Comics uh, that were released in August of that year. And those issues were 265 and 266, which is the return of Young Storm. And he was really intrigued by them. A couple of years, he started collecting them regularly. And uh, he considers himself extremely lucky to be collecting at that time frame because Gambit became one of his favorite characters. What did you think of Gambit? I like Gambit. Uh I'm, I I know he's not uh, everybody's favorite, but I've always, like, he was, when I started collecting, he was one of the members. Right. So. And so I think, like, as I stopped collecting, he had just come on and he had found Little Storm mm-hmm. uh, being a thief in Cairo. Taught her the ropes. Yeah. How to survive on the street. Exactly. And so, but he was so cliched cool. Like, he was. Yeah, yeah. Like, Longshot was the cool guy for the 80s and then disappeared. Gambit was the cool guy for the 90s but never really disappeared. Yeah, and and I I was always into Gambit and Rogue's relationship. Oh, right, 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 because they instantly fell. Because I'm a softie. Right. Uh, And so after he finishes collecting X-Factor, he wants to get giant-sized Fantastic number 4, number 4. Which I, I'm wondering, did he know about that prior to our podcast, or did we? Oh, I'm sure he it? did. I had no idea, but I guess I'm not a Jamie Madrox fan, and he would be because he's an X Factor fan. Exactly. 
Is Jamie Madrox the leader of X Factor? I think he is now. Okay. Although, no, no, Havoc came back, but now he's the leader of Uncanny Avengers. So, yeah, it's probably still Ugh. Madrox. I can't even talk about the new generation of comedy. There's just too many titles. <laughs> Every time I talk to you, you're like, yeah, they restarted Uncanny X-Men again. I was like, what? They just ended it. And you're like, no, that's three years ago they ended that. <laughs> I can't keep up. I literally can't keep up. There's just too many stories and too many reboots and Wolverine's on every single team. Oh, my God. He has his own three comics, Wolverine, Savage Wolverine, and Wolverine Max. I get it. He's popular, but that's maybe that's what takes me out of the reality of comics. He's Either on that the, or I'm he's a on the Uncanny Avengers. Man. He's on the Avengers. He's on the Wolverine and the X-Men, all new X-Men. Uh, is he in, is he in the, the new Avengers? I don't even, I don't know. I don't even know what's going on in Astonishing anymore. <laughs> I've lost track of that a long time ago. But he's certainly on at least one of the Avengers show or teams, if not two. Yeah, he's definitely on Uncanny Avengers and regular Avengers. I read the entire Avengers versus X-Men cycle, and I mean all 74 issues. And I think uh, he appeared in at least one panel of each one of those comic books. <laughs> hey, guys. <laughs> I'm here. And you're like, last issue you were in Siberia. How can you... Why'd you here? kick me out of this plane? <laughs> exactly. Jerk. I've still been kicked out of the plane. <laughs> uh, all right, so Ray Papa, he wrote us on February 28th, and he, he is, said... Uh, he's Reynard Papa on the Facebook. Reynard writes us. Reynard, do you prefer Reynard or Ray? Yeah, let us know. Or Nard. <laughs> <laughs> or Papa, you know, whatever. Uh, he was six years old in 1991. Wow. Doesn't that make you feel? Makes me feel awesome. <laughs> and uh, he, his speculation is not a speculation that I share, but he says that uh, comics were like brands back then 20 years ago. Kids would not be able to recognize Nike's shoes, but they certainly knew who their superheroes were. I disagree. I wore once uh, L.A. gears that were fake Jordans, and I heard no end of it. And that was about 1989-ish. <laughs> so, and none of those guys knew who Dazzler was. Which is what he goes on to say, is that apparently his sister uh, had some issues of Dazzler, which had Spidey on the bottom. And I'm wondering if it was like Spidey in the uh, UPC area, or if Spidey was in the issue. Because you remember for years, yeah, Spider-Man yeah. was down there if it was a direct... Right, if it was a direct market. Uh, so he picked up that particular issue of Dazzler, and it had Wolverine. And he said, this looks cool. So he read it, and that meant that he looked at the pictures and did not read the text, much like I did with the narration of my Marvel mm -hmm. Masterworks. <laughs> um, and so uh, still that year, uh, his father took him to a place called The Upper Deck, which I'm assuming was either a baseball card store or a comic book shop. And uh, got his father to buy him a birthday present of store uh, of comics, which featured X Factor seventy one and X Men number one, and he thought that was awesome. And he says that he basically uh, feels like he guilted his father into buying those for him. Hey, whatever works. Yeah, no kidding. At least you didn't steal them. Uh, he thought that Colossus was part man and part computer. And he ate computer chips for food. <laughs> That's awesome. Six. That's Why totally not? awesome. It's, it's not a far uh, conclusion to leap towards. <laughs> the big metal man must eat microchips for dinner. <laughs> That's the only thing that could possibly make sense. No, no, no. He also thought Wolverine 
was the same person that was on the cover of X-Factor 71 who was actually Wolfsbane. He thought Wolverine could turn into a werewolf, and that was actually his power. And that's actually why he wanted the X-Factor comic book, because he thought that that werewolf on the cover was actually Wolverine. Wow, a disappointment. No kidding. <laughs> I hate Wolfsbane. Really? She's such a whiny, mopey Scottish chick. <laughs> oh, you know how I feel. And they always write her with that thick Scottish accent. She's always like talking about ugh, she's such a stuff and junk. So he also makes up two teens that he would say are his favorites, but they don't actually exist. Uh, the first team is the green team, also known as the X-League. <laughs> and they are Cyclops, Havoc, Cannonball, Strong Guy, totally forgot about him, Guido, Dazzler, and Forge. It's an interesting team. The second team is actually a team of bad guys. And they, they comprise Computo, thank God, <laughs> Stiltman, I don't even know who that is. I think it's a Daredevil villain. I Scream. I don't know who that is. <laughs> Wendigo and Joystick. I don't know who Joystick is. <laughs> so if somebody could mock that up. Yes, that would be that would be cool. The, again, Computo. It would be much like the, uh, <laughs> the those issues of uh, Count Nefaria X-Men. Oh, with, the with villains the, of yesteryear. The porcupine. And... <laughs> so that's Computo, Stiltman, Ice Cream, Wendigo, and Joystick. If somebody could mock up like a Brotherhood of Evil Mutants type pose with <laughs> those characters, we'll post it. Totally. So they, uh, he actually asked us what our dream team would be and what their rivals would be. Well, I think we kind of came up with our dream teams. What about rivals? Adam? Oh, man. Uh, you go first. I, I need to think about this. Again, I, I got to go back to those early issues. I don't know if I could make up my own bad guy team because all the bad guy teams seem to have like their own agendas. They're either being paid by the same guy or they have the same goals. So it's not like you can mix and match. Well, I mean, they do in the future, but... I guess if I had to pick, I th the Marauders were awesome. I love the Marauders. Wait, who were the Marauders? You had uh, <clears throat> Shrapnel, who was a guy who could like just make guns. He was kind of like the bad guy Forge. Vertigo, uh, uh, another guy who could scrambler, I think his name was. He could are scramble they, your brain by touching you. Are they the mutant massacre guys? Yes. Okay. They're the Marauders. And then uh, Sabretooth was a Marauder. Um there was a, a like a typhoon, I think, who spun around and like spikes came flying out of her. That might have been Vertigo. And then there was Arclight. She was a woman, and she could make uh, like earthquakes, basically. Hmm. But they were so badass. If you say so, uh, they were. <laughs> but they exist, so I guess that wouldn't be my dream bad guy team. All right, let me put my dream bad guy team together. It'd be Juggernaut. Um. And the Blob. <laughs> Don't know why they're teamed up, but the, the two big guys are some for some reason teamed up. All right, so let me add on to that. <laughs> um, I'm probably going to stick with mainly Wolverine villains. Okay. So Lady Deathstrike. Um, oh, okay. You're going the cool route, but uh, Cyber. Who's Cyber? He was in, like, Marvel Comics Presents, I think is where he was introduced. He, his skin is adamantium. I think he's dead now. Okay. I don't recall him. Um, Sam Keith issues. Okay. Oh, so yeah. I, I love that Sam Keith stuff. Is that with the really big Wolverine and that came out right after the Weapon X series? Yes. I didn't like it because it wasn't drawn normal. But yeah. in retrospect, 
I think they actually look really good. Yeah, it it, it was totally different. So I was like, oh, this is awesome. This is so okay. weird. And and there was like scenes of dreams and it was all trippy. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, the art, Sam Keith's art is totally not your normal stuff. So it's not traditional. For me, I was like, wow, this is this is like what you can do. This is so cool. I guess I was just like a, like a super conservative guy as a kid. So I was like, this art's not normal. I don't like it. <laughs> I'm sure I was like that with a ton of stuff too. That's not Jim Lee. <laughs> um, who else? Dakin. Who's that? No, I'm just kidding. That is Wolverine's uh, mohawked-haired son with the two spikes. I thought that was X-23. No, that's his daughter. Well, oh, Jesus, who is a clone of Wolverine? All right. Um, no, he has an actual son who has two claws that come out of his front. And one claw that comes out of his wrist. I've seen and him. He's got the mohawk and tattoos, okay. and he's awful, and he's dead now. <laughs> <laughs> and they killed him. <laughs> nice. Um, he must not have made an impact, because they don't ever reference him. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he'll show up in the next Wolverine movie or something. Do you ever, uh, do you ever the, um, read any issues with the Magus? So, he was Warlock's father, and he's like... He spreads the transmode virus. No. He's, like, super powerful and just like Warlock, he doesn't really have a shape, but he changes electronically. Hmm. He's cool, but he wouldn't team up with anything because all he wants... Oh, his whole deal is, like, the reason Warlock is on Earth is because Maguses are from some planet and, like, every year or when you reach uh, adolescence, you get hunted by your father. Oh. And if you live, like, you're a man, and if you die, then you weren't a man or something like that. <laughs> well, you're, you're dead. So. You're dead. <laughs> he was a cool villain, but he wouldn't team up with the Juggernaut. It wouldn't make any sense. Galactus, um, the Juggernaut, <laughs> and... Uh, oh, yeah, you got to have Galactus. <laughs> He's the team leader. I, honestly, Galactus is my favorite villain, but... Um... And for no other reason, like not not character wise, I don't even know what his character's like. Just because he's just because he's big and he's a big human. And I love the concept of eating stuff. And then there was that one tick issue, where or uh, uh, tick the cartoon episode where he fights Omnipotus, and it's a parody of Galactus. It's funny. And he says my favorite line, maybe of anything ever. I don't know. He, he shouts up to Omnipotus, "You can't eat the Earth. It's where I keep all my stuff." <laughs> I never watched the tick. I, I, we, we can watch it before you leave. I have it on DVD. Is it good? I bet you it's good. It's great. Okay. Um, it's it's slow at the beginning. It's tough to get into, but once it gets going, it's it's Didn't like they make like a live action tick. Oh yeah, it was it was. Well, it depends on who you talk to. I mean, I watched a couple of episodes. There I... was one episode that's really funny where they face a villain who they discover. Uh, uh, nuclear weapons in his trunk and so they do this whole trial of him and uh his his uh jailer is america made who might not be america made in that show but she might have a different name okay but um and he 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 kind of psychologically analyzes her and gets her to uh open up his cell by making her feel all depressed and stuff and it's 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 one really funny episode and it was my favorite of the series but there was only six episodes and honestly they they weren't they weren't that, that great. They weren't that great. Okay. Um, so your bad guy team is uh, what? Galactus, Cyber. Galactus, Cyber, <laughs> and... Uh, the Rhino. The, and the uh, Lady Deathstrike. <laughs> okay. 
And I'm sure there's others that I'm not thinking of. Maybe there's a ghostwriter villain somewhere that I care about, but probably not. Yeah, putting together your ultimate villain team—that's hard because again, it's the motivations. They it's really—it's really hard for me because I don't read comics for the villains. I read comics for the heroes. I, yeah, but I like some of the team dynamics. Like the Hellfire Club is always cool. Yeah, I mean, but it, not one of those. Maybe Sebastian Shaw, maybe, but I wouldn't be like, oh, I, I need the. <laughs> Black King, <laughs> White Rook, he was awesome. Harry Leland, who dies. But See, I was tempted to put Emma Frost on it, but only because I like her now. Oh, okay. But yeah, but she was pretty. Just like a one-dimensional yeah. villain back then. Huh. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Um, the Porcupine. The Porcupine. <laughs> Basically, Count Nefaria and anybody he's ever been associated with. <laughs> Holden Atreides, he gets a hold of us, and he says that he discovered the show on Fox, the animated series. That was his introduction, but never really got into X-Men until around 2005, when he had moved into uh, uh, an apartment with a girlfriend who was super into X-Men. Can you imagine? That's a keeper. That would be awesome. (laughs) Sadly, it doesn't work out well for him, but one of the first (laughs) gifts he ever got her was Essential Classic X-Men Volume 1, which I'm like, that's a terrible gift. <laughs> you you sprung 19 bucks for a black and white coloring book for <laughs> your girlfriend who's super into X-Men? Try an omnibus. <laughs> that's, anyhow, uh, she doesn't remember, or he doesn't remember exactly how, but they ended up reading it together, and then they jumped to the next volume. So they basically bought all of the um, Essential Classic X-Men's... Um, Let's see, until they got to volume five in which their relationship fell apart and they broke up. And you want to know why? Why? No color. (laughs) Got to get the omnibus. Nothing says love like omnibus. (laughs) I don't know. Can you imagine having a girlfriend that was super into X-Men? I think that would be either really cool or just obnoxious. Yeah, I can see it going either way. Because your girlfriend could potentially be into everything that makes you annoyed with the X-Men. <laughs> I just picture you like getting into these horrible arguments <laughs> about who, which character is cooler and which plotline is cooler. No, and, like, and, and at first it would be awesome. You're like, right. oh, I'm so in touch with this person. And then after like a month is like, can we not talk about the X-Men anymore? I picture going like this, like, um, why don't you ever wash the dishes and pick up after yourself? And you're such a slob. And, and you think that Jubilee's the greatest teen <laughs> character and she's dumb. You only like her because she's Asian. And you've got that creepy Asian fish. <laughs> I see what you do with those Psylocke things. And then you're like, why do you know any of this? <laughs> I gotta go. Uh, on the other hand, maybe you could get action figures and like set them up and like actually have little battles between you and your girlfriend. <laughs> oh no. Yeah, no. maybe not. I don't know. Maybe it was for the best Holden. I'm not sure. But you could cosplay. Oh my god. <laughs> he could dress up like Rogue. She could dress up like Gambit, and then they could just not touch each other. Right. (laughs) And she would throw cards at him. (laughs) I'm going to absorb your powers, he'd say. (laughs) That dynamic would be fun. Um, Let's see. During that time, oh, they had a son together. And they're looking, and looking back on those last few months, uh, we had this little family, little ex-family that was very close. Those few yards were probably the happiest of my life, and I can't read or see any of the early X-Men without having fond memories at that point in my life. Oh, so every time he listens to one of our old episodes, he's like, 
Oh. <laughs> Sorry, Holden. I maybe should have read that part before I made fun of you for all that other stuff. Oh, that's the magic of editing. <laughs> Did you name your son Nathan? That's what I want to know. Yeah. Has he got any one of those? Christopher, Nathan, yeah. any one of those ambiguous <laughs> any names? Any one of Cable's names. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, is he really related or is he not related? I don't know. Did you I re- send him to the future? <laughs> to save humanity, only to have him come back. Didn't they rewrite that whole Cable thing? I don't know. I thought I had read an article from one of the ex-artists who was like, or writers who was like, I put together this plot line where Cable was going to be this amazing hero from the future and he was going to be Nathan Gray Summers or whatever. And and then Marvel said it's dumb and they rewrote him into something else. I don't even know. The I, whole Cable the, lore. Yeah, the, that me. whole thing. There are some X-Men storylines that have gotten so convoluted it's impossible to know. Yeah. Sometimes Anything. I think they just end them just so that they can end them and not okay. have them around anymore. Yeah. So uh, we got a couple of voicemails. So uh, we also we also got a one line uh, mail from Pat Gunter. Oh, it said animated series. So. <laughs> oh, I see. So his intro into the X Men was the animated series. Welcome aboard. <laughs> hey, Danger Room. This is Edward Gibson the Third. He's our Twitter guy. I'm excited to hear you guys get to giant size, so I thought I'd give you a call and let you know. I'm really enjoying the podcast. I hope you guys keep it up. Uh, you asked about how we got into X-Men when I was 10 years old. I picked up Uncanny 356. What was Uncanny 356? Do you want me to look? I had literally, I thought I wrote that down. I wasn't collecting at that time. Uh, I think somewhere like 315, I stopped and started up again somewhere closer to 400 i definitely was quit way before 356 you don't have to look it up i feel i'm looking it up oh i feel like now i have to know i feel like there was a period uh, where they double-sized the books but the art was atrocious and they put a big x logo in the top left hand corner and uh there was an interesting story uh prior to me getting back into like doing this podcast with you and even picking up trade paperbacks as I do from time to time, I was at my local grocery store and I was perusing the comic book section and I happened across a copy of Uncanny X-Men. And the first thing I said was, two ninety nine for a comic book? This is insanity. But I bought it anyways and uh, in it nothing was recognizable. Nobody was wearing an X-Uniform Nightcrawler was in it, but he was like living in a church and he was praying and stuff, and it was really boring and ridiculous. And I was like, it's probably a good thing I stopped collecting X comics. Anyhow, it was 356. 356 came out in 1998. And um, yeah, I don't recognize this cover at all. The team is apparently Archangel, Beast. Do you say Archangel or Archangel? I said Archangel when I was reading X Factor, but I think it's Archangel. I don't know. No, it's probably Archangel. I I, I don't know. Because, like, the devil was, like, the Archangel... Whatever. <laughs> um, Iceman, Rogue, Wolverine, Cyclops, and Phoenix. It's it's the original lineup plus Rogue and Wolverine. Oh. Huh. It looks like it could be an interesting issue. And it's been a nonstop go ever since then. I was a big fan of the cartoon growing up, and ever since then... It's just spiraled. Uh, Fifteen years later, I'm ready to celebrate the 50th anniversary, and I'm... How does one celebrate the 50th anniversary of the X-Men? 
I feel like while we're doing this podcast, we should have had some streamers and a big sign and some cake. <laughs> like after this podcast, we should literally be slicing into a 50th anniversary X-Men cake. We should have some punch and it'd just be like the two of us. <laughs> and at the end, we're like, God, we have so much cake left. <laughs> Go X-Men. Nearly completely finished off an uncanny run myself. When he says he finished off an uncanny run, do you think he means he has all of the uncanny X-Men issues? Or no. Or he just read them all? I think he went for a jog and he was running all weird. <laughs> and the people were like, well, that's really uncanny. Oh, could be. So when I started reading, I was getting a lot of back issues. And what you guys are coming up on is what I was reading in terms of back issues while I was getting into it. So that's how I learned the entire history. You guys are about to hit what I'm pretty much consider the the golden age of x-men the the best part the best stories ever written for the x-men so i'm really excited really looking forward to more episodes of the podcast i hope you guys keep up the great work thanks you're welcome you are not alone there i think a lot of people think uh that that is the golden age of the x-men i know i do adam and i were at a comic book store and i bought a few issues of uh the marvel masterworks x-men and the comic book guy was either um, humoring me or he also was indicating that those were the best issues. He was probably humoring me, no, though. No, he, he pulled John Byrne's name out, so... Yeah, but John Byrne wasn't in the issues that I referenced. <laughs> no, but I think he was <laughs> like, the John Byrne issues are the good ones. Oh, okay. Hey, it's Henry, a long-time listener. just kind of forgot to listen the past couple months. What the hell? <laughs> oh, man, what a downer. Well, at least he was listening enough to hear us and uh, send in this voicemail. I'm sorry. But <laughs> I'm so happy that you guys are getting to the uh, Giant Size X-Men next week. I started reading all things X-Men about a year ago this time. Uh, so he started reading in 2012. What title is All Things X-Men? I'm not familiar with that one either. Is that written by... Chris Claremont? Again? I bet you it's all dash things X-Men, though. Because you always have to have that dash. Oh, yeah, in. yeah. Uh, starting with giant size and... Giant-sized all things X-Men. <laughs> I've made my way to 1994, and I've kind of stopped because, well... When did 356 here come out? 98. Oh. Well, what do you think was happening in 1994? I don't know how we're going to look that up. <laughs> Can you put in, like, issue... 320? I'll, I'll try, uh, okay, 320? 1995, you were close. January 1995, even. Oh, uh, all right. Legion so, Quest. I don't know what Legion Quest is. So we're looking at issue 320, which is in 1995. And uh, there's, there's, there's some keys that I look at whenever I go look at back issues. And one of the keys is the new X-Men logo, uh, the X in the top left-hand corner, and I believe the size of the issue is a little bit thicker. And any time I've ever opened up an issue, the artwork just looks terrible. But So I've never, I don't think I've read any X-Men issues from 1994. So I, I guess I, we'll I have would, to agree that... Uh, I would have to agree. That is a terrible period, I guess. I'm sure you remember how sucky 1994 was. We don't remember, but we agree with you. I, I remember the year in general being pretty sucky. 94? Yeah. I was still in high school. I like came so close to losing my virginity like eight times. It was, it was a really depressing <laughs> thing. It was like... Oh, damn. My first started reading X-Men was way back in 1993. Wait a minute. Which is it? I thought it was all things X-Men last year. Wait. 
when Go I was ahead. Uh, in high school and the cartoon was on. Cartoon was fun. I said, there's comics on this. I'm going to get some comics. So I got some comics. And I was a confused little monkey. I'm like, this is covering a lot more than I know about from the cartoon. So he's saying that the comic book that was released at the same time as the animated series had a lot more stuff going on. I could agree with that. Yeah, the comic series always has more yeah, stuff going right. on, especially if it's poorly written. <laughs> but so I think, though, the animated series came out right about that time that that Jim Lee started running in Uncanny, which led into Yeah, I think X-Men it was shortly World. after that. Yeah. And I honestly stopped reading them after a while because of that. Um, first issue was that uh, five different cover X-Men number one. Um, Which Adam and I, between one another, have at least 50 copies. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, got confused, so. I can agree. That was the problem I think I had with X-Men number one, is that it doesn't start. It It's just in the middle of a story. Is it? Kind of. Like, there's... I, I, like, Astonishing X-Men, as we were talking about earlier, like, there's enough narration and story to bring you up to speed with everything you need to know to read the rest of the run. And I feel like X-Men 1, from my memory, there's a big splash panel of a whole bunch of X-Men, and it's like, yeah, we're the blue team, and there's the gold team, and here we go. Well, all I remember is that it's it's a three-part... Uh, the first story is a three-part story about mm. Magneto. Oh, Magneto, yeah, yeah. And it, it begins and, with Magneto, and it ends with Magneto. Yeah. So it's, it is self-contained, but I guess it does take off from all that... Crap right, but was going on before it. I guess like you're, you, you, like the great thing, man. Maybe it's just writing wise that uh, Joss Whedon introduced. We we got a good sense of everybody's personality in the first quarter or half of Astonishing X Men number one, and I I I would have to reread X Men one, but I feel like it just starts and here's Jean Grey and right. here's these other characters and they have powers and they here's Magneto. And you should know who all these people are. Yeah. That this is really momentous because we haven't seen Magneto in a long time. Well, I think, I think yeah, you, you're definitely onto something there. I think it was more for the fans than for new people. Right. So now that I'm a, a full-ass grown-up man... Uh, a full-ass grown-up man? Is that what he said? Yeah. Well, how does that work? <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't have a half-ass. He doesn't... Oh. He doesn't... <laughs> oh, okay. I can get behind that. Ooh. And I've read them... <laughs> all from 1975 to this date, I now realize, oh, it makes sense if you read them all at once and meticulously follow all the characters. I'm going to agree with some of that. So he's saying that, like, at issue two, let's just say 270, he didn't know what was going on. Okay, I get it. Uh, Yeah, I disagree with that. Uh, I think, like, any comic book, um, like G.I. Joe, I picked up uh, issue 23, and then I didn't pick it up again until issue 46. And I didn't. I have always felt that you just pick up a comic book and you go forward, yeah, and you figure it out as you go. You pick, well, that's that's your philosophy towards well, comic right, right. books, uh, and and it's it's you know everybody approaches everything differently. But and and I definitely agree with the fact that if you you will be enriched by going back. So I would say that probably from where he started, which we're going to say is in the two seventies, 
starting from giant size and going to 270, yes, you're going to have a rich knowledge of everything that's going on. And then you're going to shortly forget it. You're going to forget it, but I think it stops mattering when you get to issue 320 or 356, as we saw, because the teams are so scrambled, so messed up. The writers have changed so often, and there's been so many different tangent and storylines that have gone through so many different books that a lot of that history doesn't pay off. And maybe that's my problem that I have with newer comic books. Like when I was growing up, and everything's more substantial when you're growing up, of course, because you're younger and more impressionable, but Mm -hmm. uh, it all seemed, it all built upon each other, and you're right. You could read probably five issues of a comic book and have a, a pretty good sense of what's going on. And there would be that desire to like, oh, man, they keep referencing this Phoenix thing. I wonder what that was. And then when you read it, you're like, oh, man, yeah, there it is. Uh, now it's like it's just, just so, so much that I feel like there's a renaissance going on right now where a lot of the stories that are happening are like the Astonishing X-Men story. They are aware of the past, but you don't have to read anything. Well, they have to do that just to, for a business model. Well, right. But I, th- I think they're actually doing it well, whereas they haven't been doing it well in a long time. So I would say that I agree with that. But I guess the point that I was trying to make was like when you get to those mid-350s issues, it's just everything's such a mess just to, due to mismanagement. Yeah, yeah. That I don't think you're enriched by reading 1 through two, 356. Okay. I think you're probably enriched from reading like... One to two eighty three hundred, and then after that, it's like. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think you could probably skip three hundred to four hundred. <laughs> you probably could, and then just read four to five fifty four, or whatever that last. Or, issue or is. even, or even like four ninety to. <laughs> <laughs> probably. Uh, so now I need to get back and start the onslaught thing. Don't tell me how it ends. Bye. I've not read Onslaught, so I, I can't spoil it. Uh, I, I'm going to say this. Onslaught kills them all. Yeah. I don't, is Onslaught a character? Uh, or is it an event? Well, he, well, do you want me to tell you? I don't want to spoil it. I don't it. want he you just, to spoil he, it. He just asked us to spoil it. I haven't actually, <laughs> not to spoil it. I haven't actually read the story, but I know of the details. Oh, okay. And nah. I'm, I'm waiting for them to come out with an Onslaught omnibus, and then maybe I'll pick it up. Maybe I won't. We'll you'll, see. You'll be able to hear the fascinating details of Onslaught and what we think of it in about, what, seven years? Uh, let's see. Let's do this. So 2020. Look for it in 2020. 2020, everybody. <laughs> Onslaught, as told by Adam and Jeremy. <laughs> well, that's all I got. I want to thank everybody who uh, participated and everybody who didn't participate and just likes to listen and just didn't feel like... Uh, Chiming in, I, I get it. I'm shy sometimes. Yeah, no problem. Uh, keep listening. We love that you're there listening. You don't have to say anything. We do love it when you do. We'll, we like to mention you, and we hope you get a little thrill out of being mentioned on air. And I think that Henry and Edward have broken the seal. Now everybody can hear how easy it is to leave a voice message and how painless it is. And, and now you don't have to be the first. Now you can be the third. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> but you got to do a better email or a better voicemail than they did. You have to up the ante every single time. There needs to be explosions in the next one. <laughs> Sound effects and a score. Cuts and everything. Listeners, call our voice message and leave leave openers and closers. So basically what we need is uh, welcome, to the, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the danger room, blah, blah, blah. And, um, uh, and the danger room is closed. Uh, oh, man. That's brilliant. So, 
leave us those messages and we'll totally start cycling you guys in and, and you can intro and outro our shows and I think that'll be super cool yeah and write your own quote unquote copy it doesn't have to be welcome to the danger room oh absolutely anything you want as long as you mention danger room you can introduce us or you can leave a gap for us to say our own names be creative you can be us if you want to you sure you you and your friend could say this is adam and this is jeremy and uh (laughs) Hell, you could do the show. Yeah. Just leave us a voicemail where you do the entire episode, and uh, and then we'll just post it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that'd be fantastic. And i, I got to be honest, uh, we're, we're, we have an art department now, sort of. Uh, <laughs> we have a communications department. Uh, thank you for, for those. Uh, and so we're now we're looking for uh, other departments. So whatever you have, uh, whatever your skill is, if you are a musician and you want to write us a theme song, do it. Yeah. Your uh, voice talent, and you want to introduce us, introduce us. Whatever you do, we will use it. Most likely. Uh, 98% <laughs> chance we'll use it unless it's like hate filled or something uh, that we find right. inappropriate. Only we can be hate filled and bigoted. <laughs> Only because we're kidding. Wink, wink. Uh, in addition to that, if we're coming up to an issue that you're like, I love this issue because it has something. Leave us the voicemail. We'll, we'll we'll put it in right at the appropriate yeah. point. Yeah, and we'll yeah. say Edward really liked it when Nightcrawler did this, and then you'll say it in your own words. Hey guys, I really liked it when Nightcrawler did this, and then we'll say, "Man, that was a terrible description." <laughs> it's a good thing this guy doesn't have a podcast. <laughs> All right, everybody, thank you, uh, and please, please put in some submissions. Keep coming in with uh, the feedback. Again, you can uh, call us at uh, 501-GET-X-MEN. You can email us at dangerroom at redcapproductions.com. Twitter us at dangerroomgo, or Facebook us at facebook.com forward slash dangerroompodcast. And write us an iTunes review uh, and give us five stars. Absolutely. Thanks, and uh, until next time, the Danger Room is closed.